This is Jane Smith reporting for WASP News. We report so you don't have to decide. Now, we're live outside of Sovereign Studios, where a protest has been taking place. Uh, sir, sir, what is going on here? We're going to put an end to his godless hedonism. He's corrupting the entire planet. Uh, you must be talking about the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. That's right. That sex fiend of an anarchist has crossed the line. We're going to rip his triple black clothing and then him to shreds. But Brian Sovereign believes in nonviolence. We don't care. He wants to end government and wants to pervert science and technology to do it. Brian Sovereign has to be stopped. This just in. Brian Sovereign is coming out of the studio. Golden Stallion, The Man of Tomorrow, Savzu, The Rated R, Radio Star. Here's one that somebody here might appreciate that I haven't used in a while, The Moadib of the Motherboard. Oh, that's right. Here for you for another little Sovereign Tech. And man, is this episode, I've been teasing this a bit because I was excited to do this episode this week uh, because I am going to have special guests with me. I love it when I get to have special guests and especially, oh, I say this every time, but especially when they're right in the studio with me that's when it's the best that's when you get the body everything it's all it's all there all the forms of language are happening and believe it or not it still shines through in audio for this podcast so first of all i am being joined by someone who is on often in fact recently you've been on quite a bit and people i i just got uh uh Someone messaged me and said, oh, it's so amazing to hear Stephanie on the show. So obviously I am talking about whoop, oh, the really? lovely. That's oh, nice. yeah. 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 They loved having you on. Hi. Uh, but, I guess I wasn't much of a surprise. We're saving the big reveal for last. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thank you for having me on, Brian. I love to do your show with you. I've been having lots of fun being on your show lately. Oh, it's always amazing when you're on. So the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy is here. So, you know, it's going to be a great time right out of the gate with that, because, I mean, is there anybody better? Come on. But Aww. I'll tell you, someone who comes up that we are also being joined by ellen ball ellen welcome back to sovereign tech i love having you on oh thanks for having me on again agent sovereign 
<laughs> Absolutely, Dr. Goldblossom. So, <laughs> uh, wow. And, you know, people, if you're wondering, uh, we're actually, I'll, I'll let, the, I'll reveal this. We were actually recording um, some, some of the fictional aspects of the Sovereign Universe just before we started hitting record on this episode. So get excited for that. And I think everybody was having fun. Yeah. It was so much fun. Yeah. I love sitting in the studio with you two and recording the lines. It's it's so easy to get into character. <laughs> exactly, right? It just kind of happens, you know? And uh, Well, I mean, admittedly, like, I kind of base these characters. I mean, one of the, the shorthand for me is that, like, it's people in my actual life. And so I kind of get to base it on them a little bit, you know? And so that I, but I think that... But it's still makes, a character. But it's still <laughs> yes. a character. But I think that allows everybody to... I mean, because even, like, your character, uh, you know, Stephanie, of course, is yeah. Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Right. But you get to, like, ham it up a bit and play it up. You know, take take it to the next level. Or oh, something. I mean, that's always going on on radio, social media or whatever. Right. People always portray characters like, for example, Brian, you and me are really not as extroverted as we come off on the radio. I think, <laughs> you know, we do these shows and we're like very boisterous and talkative. But a lot of times we'll sit at home and we we will sit in comfortable silence for hours. But you would never guess it by listening to our podcast. Measures so. of great thinkers, I think. But yeah. it's just a way to, you know, express little sides of yourself or play with it. But like I was saying to Ellen before, uh, we don't have too many friends who uh, we can <laughs> enact an audio drama with and they will enjoy it. <laughs> so it's nice when somebody um, enjoys doing a little bit of uh, theater, <laughs> you know, with us. Yeah. It's like it, a high school musical, but not quite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Ellen's fantastic, of course. And it just it was really fun uh, to be to be doing that. So, you know, you brought up I mean, we're, we're going to have a bunch of different topics we're, we're going to bring up here. And of course, I mean, you two are absolutely brilliant women uh, that I think could talk about anything, uh, but we're going to get into a lot more of the science aspects of, of things um, as far Yay. as that goes. So science. Yeah, science. <laughs> right. Yeah. I can't wait to get into this. Yeah. But, you know, before we do, you know, Stephanie, you mentioned social media and kind of the parts we play, uh, not we, we as in the royal we, we as in an abstract we. Um, and I think that's what we've been, this has kind of been a theme in the past month or two, maybe. Uh, and certainly before, I mean, I've always had my issues with Facebook for years, frankly. Um, and they, this week they did announce they're making some pretty dramatic changes. They're going to be changing messenger. They recognize the messenger is really cluttered. Um, and they want to get, cause like, oh. yeah, they said that their basic, their, their premise with messenger was we're just going to throw in every feature we can, because I think they felt like they had to catch up with like WeChat line telegram and whoever else they needed to catch up with these people to have that kind of, you know, to have signal. that feature in signal. Yeah. In certain ways. I mean, they did actually integrate the signal protocol. Into right. Facebook that's why Messenger. I said that because it right. seems like they were trying to, uh, they were considering signal at least competition or having a feature that they wanted in there. Right. And so now and they're talking good as far as I'm concerned. Sure. Sure. Uh, so now they're talking about, Hey, we need to, you know, we need to clean, clean up messenger. Like it's a, it's a real, this is just a, a clusterfuck that's going on. I'm glad they recognized it also. So, Tell me more about that. Like, why why do you think they consider Messenger cluttered? Because I think I'm too deep. I'm like knee deep in it because I use Messenger. Yeah. And I'm like thinking about it. I'm like, I don't think it's cluttered. But like, what do you mean by that? Well, so to bring up like half the features, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe you're not using all the features, but like to Probably bring up half not. the features, you have to press the little plus symbol next to the, the text bubble. Um, and then there's like a bunch of stuff, like all these different things come up within it. The settings, uh, when you go to the settings tab, it's a mess. 
I mean, it's mm. an absolute mess. And there's just a, there's a lot going on. You That's know, true. And like the home screen, like they have yeah. all these different tabs. And I'm like, I don't use, I only use one of them. That's true. So, okay, I see what you mean now. Yeah. Now there's a camera app kind of built into it. I mean, there's right. so many different things that are built there's into like this. like a Snapchat it's, kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. It's a real mess. But now not only Messenger, but also Facebook proper, the news feed, they are cleaning up to where it has... Um, uh, like they're getting rid of a lot of pages and advertisements. Apparently they're trying to turn your newsfeed into something more personal because people aren't posting anymore. Um, and so Facebook is going through a year of transition. I think that's, that's, that is safe to say, and it'll be interesting to see how it shapes up. Maybe they really won't change anything, but I've already seen where a lot of pages, like I follow pages for like Star Trek continues and some of these other ones. And they're all saying, Hey, um, Facebook's changing everything. If you want this to work, you're going to need to, or, you know, if you still want to get our updates, you're going to need to like set us as a priority. Hmm. And, and, that, and that's so antithetical because there's another fucking setting you have to mess with, you know, which I thought you were trying to make it simpler. <laughs> But, you know, as far as posting on Facebook myself, I probably haven't posted in about a month, which is, I think, the longest dry spell that I've ever done. I've, there's times where I've done like a couple of weeks or something, but I, I've dropped it for like a month uh, or now, and I, and I just haven't posted there. And I'm kind of done with it. And we've been talking about, in fact, Stephanie, the episodes you've been on recently, we've been talking about how, yeah, you know, like the social media addiction, smartphone addiction, you know, these kind of subjects mm. that these are very real. These things are kind of happening. Yeah. Now, Ellen, um, you recently have, well, so, so there was a point, so there's, we have, there's the Sovereign Tech Uncensored, like Facebook group. Okay. And that's still going. People can still join it if they want to or whatever. I'm not really active in there right now. Um, but like you would be active in there, of course. I mean, you know, you're, you're Sovereign Tech alumni, you know, I mean, (laughs) you'd be in there. And then like one day I kind of noticed it's like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't know if Ellen's like really, you know, active in here and all, and, which is totally cool. Like, I'm like, oh, great. You know, somebody not being on social yeah, media. Everybody takes awesome. breaks once in a while. Yeah, right, 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 right. But you've been doing this for a while and you've been very intentional about not messing with social media, kind of putting your smartphone in, in its place. And I think the, Ellen's on a diet here. Damn yeah, right. Technology <laughs> diet. <laughs> but I think the theoretical that you and I were talking about, Stephanie, like Ellen's actually doing it like you're like you've really put it i mean and i've been trying to put it into play myself as well um but i'd be curious to hear like what was your decision because you know i asked you about this earlier and you said yeah i'm taking a break from social media or not just a break but like you're you're kind of canceling and everything tell me about that tell me about let's roll with it sure sure so i i decided to uh distance myself from social media because uh well always for as long as I've used it uh, the more I use social media and try to interact with people through that the more I feel distanced from them I mean sure you can you can connect with people through messages right uh, but you're still missing out on you know 80 to 90 percent of the communication that happens when you talk to someone uh, if, you, if you're just sending them text and um, I, I like using messenger because you can communicate with people and set up times where you can meet uh and i think that's the real goal but i don't i don't like social media at all because of the addictive aspects of it so uh for example there like you guys are talking about facebook having all these settings and you can kind of get lost in that trying to uh modify things to what you want whereas um uh, like you like to point out, Brian, there's so much more to the internet than just Facebook. If you want to learn about something, there's no reason why you have to rely on Facebook to give you that information. Right. Um, another thing, I just noticed that every time I looked at my phone, there was uh, 
uh, there was like 15, sometimes 20 <laughs> notifications from Facebook, and it was getting so out of hand. <sighs> yeah. You uh, can never get to the bottom of the pile, too. That's the other thing. Yeah. It's like they just keep coming. Even if you don't look at them, then they'll be like 50, and you're like, right. oh, shit, I don't want there to be 50. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's bad enough that there's 20. <laughs> yeah. And there's so many things that you don't even really care about that much. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, uh, I just, this is cluttered to my phone and to in my brain. Like, I don't want to have to constantly look at uh, this person's name over and over again because they keep posting in a group that I was forcibly put into that I don't want to <laughs> be in. I've blocked myself from this group so many times. But anyway, I just, I decided one day, fuck it. I'm just getting rid <laughs> of this app. Yeah. And yeah, I, screw the system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I let Zuckerberg control my brain. Yeah. Well, ever since I've, uh, ever since I've uninstalled the app from my phone, I, I have so few notifications from, I mean, I still have Instagram, but that is, is relatively laid back compared to Facebook. Yeah. Um, and, it, it's just much simpler as far as programs go. But um, I find that now I can actually focus more and be more uh, intentional about what I'm doing with my time because I'm not being distracted. Uh, even just having a phone on the table. Um, like, I I remember when I was working. Oh, I'm not talking about you right now, Stephanie. <laughs> just moving like, I just, oh, I just sneakily no like moved my phone <laughs> off the table because my phone was on the table. But honestly, I, d- I try not to touch my phone during Sovereign Tech when I'm on the show. It was l- because I was looking something up for one of the articles that we were going to talk about <laughs> yeah. later. But, you know, I'm going to shut the screen off and flip it over just so it doesn't distra- distract anybody, including myself. Because well, <laughs> that quick. is a good point, Ellen. Yeah, just yeah. quick. I mean, that's part of what I think you were hinting at, Ellen, is that like there's so many modes of communication that a smartphone and social media which is you know your notifications coming through that smartphone are are really like it's going to take away from you like Mm -hmm. eye contact like if if i'm recording with people in studio and like and i don't necessarily have eye contact i mean not that people need to look me in the eyes but just like the sense of attention that their eyes are like focused on the task because you know the eyes are there i mean there is no soul but the idea that the windows of the soul are like of oh, the process is going on in a person like in self-defense you learn that well watch the person's eyes and that'll tell them where they're going and everything if you don't have the person's attention you can tell through the eyes if that's yeah. happening and yeah. so that can feel that can throw you off your game if you're a podcaster it doesn't matter how pro you are at at podcasting so yeah there are these multitude of elements that are involved in human communication that you can lose because of this but please please continue yeah uh communication is essential i mean sure. i <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've been out to eat with somebody and I'm having a conversation with them and they pull out their phone and they glance down at it. And it it might be momentary. It might be, you know, a couple minutes. I don't know. But it's still distracting. And to me, it it feels a little less genuine every, every time it happens because it's like, well, that person's not actually interested or not focused or mm-hmm. um, so. So it just kind of breaks down the connection that we have when social media or smartphones get in the way um and and another thing uh like i was saying with even having a phone on the table um if if i'm working for example i can easily get distracted uh you know if for a moment i think oh i wish i could take a break it's so easy because the phone's right there yeah and you can just instantly you know your attention can always be filled with something and if you need a distraction it's always there ready to distract you uh good or bad yeah and yeah absolutely so so you took a full-on i mean you're like you said minus instagram in fact recently i got asked on on 
Patreon. Like somebody said, okay, what's like the one social media account you wouldn't delete? And it was really a toss up between Instagram and Twitter for me. I was like, well, like, yeah, like Instagram can be really inspirational, like in in how basic it is. And like, it's not very cluttered, at least not yet, even though that's another one where they're adding a lot of features. So I can understand uh, that. But otherwise, I mean, you've really taken a break for this. I mean, how, how do you feel like not getting Facebook notifications, not constantly checking Facebook, um, you know, all that, like, like, I mean, what has that done for you? I feel so amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That should just sell it right there. New lease on life. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I feel like I have a grip on everything. I, I'm so much more present in the moment. Um, I, I feel that now I am paying more attention to the things that, inspire me and the things that I am motivated by mm-hmm. and the people that I love and want to spend time with. So I I just love everything that's happened since I gave up the social media uh, addiction, I guess. I mean, now I'm, I'm paying more attention to what it is that is gratifying to me. Like whenever I have that urge to be distracted by something, it's really telling me something else about myself. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, maybe... I've lost sight of what it is that that made me want to do this job in the first place or made me want to spend time with this person in the first place. Right. Um, and then I remind myself and it's just a practice of refocusing and of, you know, opening my mind up more to uh, listening to my body and my brain and understanding what these messages really mean when um, you know, when I get the, the sense that like, I need to be distracted right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can really hear that. I mean, in fact, I know you were saying when we were talking earlier, you were saying, you know, you've read books now, like, I oh, mean, yeah. you, you know, I've picked up reading so much more since I gave up social media. Right. And I'm much more efficient now. <laughs> like it used to take me, I don't know, three hours to get ready in the morning or something. Cause I'm like dragging and then I sit down and look at my phone and then I drag some more and then pull out the phone. But now it's like, it's like, okay, I know what I'm going to do and I'm going to do it and I'm going to follow through with it and not get distracted. Yeah. I mean, Stephanie, I, I kind of have some takes on this, but I mean, mm-hmm. before I go get into that, I mean, what do you, you know, what do you think? Like, like, how do, how do you feel yeah. based on what you're hearing? Well, I'm really happy for you, Alan, that you, um, you. figured that out, that it, and it's improving your life. And I can relate really strongly to a lot of what you're saying, especially the efficiency angle, because I noticed like some days I, I get fed up. Like I realize in the morning or the day before, maybe that I have a lot that I want to accomplish. And I'm like, okay, the only way I'm going to actually make this happen is if I ignore Facebook all day. And I ignore Facebook all day. And I'm like, amazed at what I got done. And I'm like, wow, you know, we read this article a couple weeks ago on Sovereign Tech that said people usually spend a total of like two to three hours scrolling Facebook every day. But it's not it's more insidious than that because it's not in one chunk. It's like right. throughout the day, they check 20 times an hour for two minutes each or something like that. Well, mm-hmm. that would almost be a whole hour. But, you know, it's it's something like that where they're constantly switching. And every time you switch tasks, like there's been a lot of studies that have shown that the human brain is really not as good as we think at multitasking. Everybody thinks they're good at multitasking, but really multitasking spins the wheels and wastes a lot of energy. And it's every time you switch a task, you lose a little bit of momentum. And so if you're constantly going to your phone and checking social media, that can be a real drain on on decision making, on motivation, on momentum, on getting stuff done. So I totally relate to that. On the other hand, 
Um, I oh, struggle, there's the butt. I no. struggle with this. It's not a big butt, you know. No, no. It's it's a little butt. Um, it's a nice butt. It's a nice butt. <laughs> right. It's a nice butt. Um, <laughs> on the other hand, like. I'm grateful for my smartphone and for Facebook and for Facebook Messenger because they allow me to keep to maintain long distance relationships and friendships um, that I want to maintain and that are very special to me. Um, Brian and I live together, but we don't spend a whole ton of time seeing other people in person. A lot of the time it's just us or we're almost kind of alone in the house. We're doing working on our own stuff kind of separately. Mm -hmm. And so if I want to talk to my mom, if I want to talk to my friends, if I want to talk to, you know, whoever, and I do actually have a lot of friends that are that are kind of long distance that live in different places that are still very important relationships to me that I want to keep going. Um, I kind of have to use my phone. And I'm glad it's there to enable me to keep those connections going strong because otherwise I just don't know how I'd be able to do it. I even struggle sometimes as it is because it's hard to maintain long distance friendships, but it would be kind of impossible, I think, without the without the the constant availability. But on the other hand, every time I go to the phone, it's like it's so easy to fall into that trap because every app on there is designed to be as addictive as possible. Yeah. And it's just designed to give you hit after hit after hit of dopamine and just keep you coming back, keep you wanting to check it. And carrying on a conversation with somebody by text sometimes takes way longer than it would on the phone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But it feels like you're able to do it in a way, like sometimes, to me, sometimes, it feels like I'm better able to carry on a text conversation than I would be able to carry on a phone conversation, even though that may not actually be true. And every time I get drawn into the phone, like I said, it's it's addictive. I start getting those dopamine hits and I don't even realize it, but it's pulling me in. And sometimes I do realize it, but it also takes strength to like resist it and to be conscious and to be present and aware that it might be pulling me in and I have to kind of like lean back and be aware of that. So like, yeah, I really relate to, to what you're saying that we could all kind of use a break and it's it's a struggle because technology does enable beautiful things like keeping these these connections going and being able to instantly reach out to anybody but the dark side of that is that you're expected to be always available and it's it's kind of expected to be almost like a jack into your brain that anyone can get a hold of you anytime they want to and that's not necessarily very healthy yeah absolutely well i i do agree with you that uh facebook facebook messenger they serve amazing purposes. I mean, they connect people from all over the world and uh, they they help me to like plan events and stay in contact and mm-hmm. get in touch with people that I haven't seen in years. So they do have benefits for sure. The group's function is cool. Yeah. I feel like I've gotten mm-hmm. some good community there. Right. But the, the dark side, like you said, people expecting you to be available constantly, uh, mm-hmm. that's not always true. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess... For different personality types, they might take uh, the technology a little bit differently. Like uh, for you, you said you could uh, have a regular conversation through text message. Uh, And for me, when I talk to somebody through text message, it's like it's almost frustrating in a way Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I just want to be able to say it. But when I'm writing it down, it takes longer and I I second guess myself wondering like is there a better word i could have put there (laughs) yeah right it takes so much longer than just regular conversation that sometimes it's like 
if if somebody writes you a really long message, it's like, oh my gosh, this is going to take half an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. When I'm having a conflict with somebody, it's it's a lot easier to resolve it by chatting by voice or meeting up in person. Yeah, because I think there's that extra buy-in of like, okay, we're both we're both invested enough in this relationship to actually physically meet up. So, okay, we have to work it out, even though if we're not sure how to do that right now, mm-hmm. you know, there's that. And then there's also that you can see the body language. And whereas text message, it's just like, there have been so many studies about how people interpret text messages. And like you said before, I don't know if you said this on the air or off there, but it's very two-dimensional text. Like you yes. don't, there's so much you don't get and your brain can't help but kind of confabulate and fill in the gaps. And so mm-hmm. sometimes you'll take something entirely wrong or you'll just read it wrong or there'll be a typo that will inter- interfere with communication and you can't see any of the tone or the language, the body language behind it. So it, it is it is really tricky you know and and i have to try to remember that is that if i'm having a conflict like it's always better to get more information by talking on the phone or in person if possible yeah you know i mean one thing i think that might be unique for you stephanie now i mean you're both hardworking women i mean really i know that and uh i mean you you know ellen you go out to a job stephanie you know you're home like all the time and i think that that lack of work from home right I think that lack of like going to work and having relationships at work and everything also kind of lends itself to where, oh, wow, this social media is great because I can communicate with it people. It becomes like the water cooler exactly. of the office. Yeah, yeah it's the digital In water fact, cooler. since I work alone, I'm a voice actor. I, you know, I am part of some Facebook groups for audiobook narrators, right. for e-learning narrators, for other voice actors. And, you know, they're great. I get jobs through those groups sometimes. People network with each other. Um, you get questions answered. You get to see people asking some of the same questions you might have. Yeah. Um, you find editors and people to other professionals to work with. I mean, they're awesome for networking and for support. And I really do feel like they serve that water cooler function. And plus, like a lot of the workplaces where I've worked, it's like you don't always necessarily have a ton in common with your coworkers, mm-hmm. and sometimes it can feel like almost a forced relationship like I've definitely had workplaces where I've worked where I almost felt like it was like kind of a dysfunctional little family and I was like oh the, here's <laughs> all my little coworker brothers and sisters you yeah. know like I don't really want to be with them but I spend most of my time with them more than my significant other and I kind of resent that you know <laughs> so I, I like being away from that aspect of those sort of forced relationships with people you may not have chosen or want to spend time with. But at the same time, yeah, there. I, I think no matter how much of a loner you are or how independent you are, it is nice to have sort of at least access to a water cooler type environment, at least sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Especially um, on on social media, like you can choose to engage whenever or disengage yeah. Yeah, entirely. Yeah, yeah the 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 on demand aspect of it is actually pretty nice. Yeah. I mean, for me, yeah, well, a couple things like for me. So I, I think I felt similar to how Ellen, you know, how you're describing how you, how you started feeling about all of this and it being way too much of a distraction and, and all of that. Um, you know, for, for me, I, I kind of agree with you on the text part too. Like, but even th- there really isn't any mode of I think maybe this is one of the reasons I've ever got excited about virtual reality is because maybe that could help simulate all of the aspects of human communication, body language, everything, you know, um, because like even Skype isn't real enough for me. Like I-, I want the person in the room, 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, maybe Skype is enough and that's fine. But like text, the only real appeal with text is that you can do things that you like. There's things you can do that you just can't do in reality. Like, like text someone from the toilet or something well, right. but not yeah. when you can't Skype them from the toilet. Yeah, I guess right. you could, but you have to make sure it's from the neck up no, well, <laughs> and the sound yeah. is muted. <laughs> I mean, I, I think you can do certain things. I don't know. Well, just, just as an extreme example, right? Like cyber sex, like in, that, that's a text based like form of communication. Right. And, but like you can do that and, like you can do things in that that you just can't do in real life. Right. So in that case, text is kind of cool because it allows you to do things that just aren't, that literally aren't physically possible. Oh, I see what you're like saying. That. Like, you know, some kind of centaur fantasy or something. Uh, well, yeah, sure. What, whatever the hell it is. I mean, <laughs> you know, take your pick. So, so I kind of, I like, I can, I like text, I guess maybe in those ways, but otherwise I agree with you, Ellen, it's kind of an inferior, it, well, it's not kind of, it really is an inferior way of, of communication. Um, you know, and, well, it's like you you might enjoy watching movies, but you also might also enjoy reading books because then you imagine it in your mind, the story that's going on. Sure. I feel like it, I feel like that's what you're saying is like with text, you can communicate in a way where you're imagining a lot of the stuff in your mind and filling in gaps in your mind. And that almost makes the possibilities kind of limitless. But it's also nice to be able to watch a movie and not have to fill in those gaps and just focus on what the person's saying and what they look like and have the story laid out for you yeah i just i think at at the end of it all i want the person here you know just like we started off with this how excited i am always when when people actually get to be in studio i want my friends in front of me you know it, it's it's really incredible to consider because i think and this is this is how much i think a lot of text and a lot of social media and other things have really changed the way that we not commun not just communicate but how we how we interact yeah okay it sucks that that now everybody thinks we're available at any given time flip side of that though when i grew up in the 90s my friends would just show up in my house no phone call you know no no like they, they wouldn't text i mean there wasn't even texting at some parts of that and they just show up and it's like oh hey man yeah let's hang out you know i mean and you just yeah, did that cool. and and i miss i mean look, i miss that so bad where i would just see my friends in a car you know pull up outside the window it's like oh that's great you know ryan's gonna be here i'm gonna have a great time somebody does the poppin yeah like, it, made, it made me think of seinfeld <laughs> like that's considered like, anathema now though isn't it i oh, mean yeah, like i mean definitely. people you would flip out like what are you doing it's just showing up at my it's house it's considered anathema to call somebody without texting them first to, to ask if right. you can call them you know right it's that's gotten how far to, we've come it's gotten to that point where we're so annoyed by somebody just showing up which yeah i think that's a little messed up i agree but yeah like the the show seinfeld i mean the whole thing is almost like predicated of like on basically there's this group of friends and they'll just kind of show up at each other's places and everyone's like oh hey george how's it going you know hey yeah, jerry right, right? <laughs> and it was like that i think during that time yeah. no it really was go ahead ellen oh i was just going to say it's interesting that there's these different levels of communication that we have now like you're saying you have to text and then you can call and then you can show up afterwards <laughs> But, you know, these are all kind of like substitutes for the real thing, which, yes. which is what we all want, which is, you know, being here, here present, face to face, inter, uh, you know, interacting in this close space. We've developed this is this just struck me as you were saying that the way you described it, Ellen, like we've developed this hierarchy of communication. And I, I mean, hierarchies are bad. <laughs> OK, <laughs> like just just flat out, in my opinion. Um, and, and, that, and I think that that's very weird that we have that where we're like, okay, no, first you got to do this first. You got to like, like we've created this whole other set of customs and like this whole other set of, uh, uh, um, a protocol that we have to go through. And 
I don't know. It feels cheap. It feels really, really cheap. You know, like a felon, like, oh, you just show up. It's like, oh, hey, how you doing? You know, you like, you just show up at the door. Awesome. Great. You know, like, like, why can't we get back to that? Like, what's, I don't know. What do you think, Stephanie? Um, I think it's a way to keep people at a distance, but that might not be a bad thing for, well, for example, um, <laughs> yeah, but if they're, hold on, but if they're okay. at a, if you want to keep them at a distance, what the hell are they doing in your life? You know what I mean? Right. I mean, you, you well, there could be all different answers to that question, but sure, you know, fair. like if it's a coworker or something, for example, yeah. like I would prefer that my coworkers don't just show up at, or colleagues don't just show up at my house or that like a client email, if they're going to con, if they're, if they have to contact me emergently at, at 8 PM or something mm-hmm. during dinner, I would prefer that they email me instead of call me, you know, and yeah. expect me to pick up. Right. Um, you know, email, or if you want to keep going, but there's a point I want to make on email, but go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, like if somebody, if some creep is going to hit on me, ah. I would rather they try to text me than show up at my door, <laughs> you know? <laughs> sure. Yeah. But even then, like, th- th- that's I mean, another... I'd rather they not hit on me in the first place, this, this I guess. Is, but... Yeah, but this is the thing. I mean, and there, there's always been creepers, but I think this is a side uh, or a byproduct of a lot of social media and this always on communication and everything is that it's really empowered a lot of creepers and a lot of people, a lot of people's attentions that you don't want that normally wouldn't be a part of the game. I mean, like couldn't be. Yeah. But on the, uh, on the flip side of that, I agree. It has empowered a lot of, a lot of creepy behavior, but at the same time, it also empowers people to expose creepy behavior because you can take screenshots you know, you can ignore those texts. You can block people more readily. You can't block someone if they show up at your door, but you can block them if they send you a sexual message on LinkedIn, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, Ellen, do you have any thoughts on all this? Um, I, as you guys are discussing this, I'm just thinking that social media really has created this whole new set of, of culture practices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really has. Um, yeah, it seems like there's no going back really uh, to to your question, like why can't we have that back where people just yeah. show up? I mean, maybe you can have friends that are close enough that will just show up at your house because they know that they can expect that you'll be home, um, and right. that you'll be welcoming to them, and that you'll want them to come in. Yeah. Uh, but that's not a very common thing. Uh, I think in in modern day, like, um, there's some some friendships that exist like that for sure, but not many yeah <laughs> where where people feel trusting enough to just allow somebody to come into their house whenever they want to no that's a um, good point you know and and part of that has to do with the fact that people have been taught to be scared uh or that people have been taught to be private uh there are some things that people don't like sharing with other people and it seems that everybody is a little more distant now like maybe they have more friends than ever before but they're not really close friends yeah you know they they, they don't really let them in fully um at least that's what i've noticed with especially with the younger generation i mean i guess i'm pretty young too but (laughs) (laughs) um those youngins (laughs) 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 well people who are like 17 years old right now uh to me they seem like they're from a totally different generation Mm -hmm, right than from when I grew up because <laughs> uh, at least I remember before cell phones were a part of my life, um, you know, before they were part of anybody's lives, really. Uh, but people who are 
just in their teenage years now they've been around pretty much their entire lives like they were too young to remember uh the days before people were on facebook or myspace or instagram like yeah. that is mm-hmm. their entire life yeah yeah i think that's a that's a fair point i mean and and this is like, I kind of remember growing up and look, I'm not pining for the good old days because I don't think there was ever such a damn thing, you know, like, I, I mean, I say it's a trap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I say this all the time. Like society is so wrong from like the, the foundation up, like everything's just way off base from where perhaps it should be. Um, and I think some of what you're saying, what some of what you're saying, Ellen, like kind of points toward a, a thing that I'm, I'm a. I'll say a big believer in, which is the Dunbar number where you can only handle really so many, uh, you know, close relationships in your life. You know, as far as like really close, maybe five to 15, as far as like people you can actually have any kind of confidence in perhaps, you know, it gets to like 150, 200 that you could have any, anything kind of meaningful with. Um, and yeah, I mean, a lot of this empowers us to get away from that, but I, you know, I don't, I, I just I worry that that's doing a lot of harm. We don't have the attention. I mean, you potentially have thousands of people in any given moment ready to take your attention away, uh, you know, ready to 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 just disrupt you in whatever the hell you're trying to do. And look, we're all trying to make it, you know, in this life. And yeah, I. I I like Ellen, I like what you've got going on as far as this, where you're putting it in its place. You know, you're not I mean, I, I don't I don't know want to come out and say, like, it's the grand evil or something. You know, which certainly we, we, you know, Stephanie and I have hinted at, but I, I think it is important. Like we really, really got to say, Hey, wait a second. Like, what could I be doing if I'm not doing this? Like for me personally, there's times where I'd lay down at night, you know, I have, I have, I'd either have my phone next to me or I have a, a, a Kindle. I have my Kindle e-reader. And once I said, look, no more Facebook, no more of this crap. Like I'm not reaching for the phone anymore and just scrolling through endlessly. Now I'm picking up the book, you know, I'm, I'm picking up the e-reader and I read it. And, and, and then when I'm ready to fall asleep, I fall asleep. And I actually, I, I think I've already lost count of how many books I've read uh, since I started this little oh, wow. social media fast. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's a really good metric of like the opportunity cost of all that scrolling. <laughs> because yeah. that's what people used to do. I mean, mm-hmm. people used to like, they would, they would, they lay down and they'd read a fucking book instead. Now they're just scrolling and they don't. Yeah, and that's the other part too. And I've, I brought this up many times, but that's the other part is how many people actually like Stephanie, do you remember what you posted four days ago? Uh, yeah. You do? What did you post? Because <laughs> I don't post much. Oh, okay. I, I posted well, nothing four days ago, but yesterday I posted a a selfie, a picture that you took of me, Brian, of right. the gorgeous gift that you got me, which is a bat purse. Aww. And the bat is my spirit animal. It was super cute and I loved it and I wanted to share it. And I'm glad you enjoyed that. And actually, uh, you know plug for social media i'm glad that you share i felt really yeah, special that you that shared it sweet. to like, let people know it but. got a lot of likes yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well okay but then like a month ago what did, what did you post a month ago oh i don't know uh, right and that's my point <laughs> is that like this stuff is so important that it's stealing your attention but it's not because but it's totally not important forgot. in the grand that's where i can remember right. every book i've ever read like I and not not word for word, but I know exactly what I read. I know what I got out of it. Sure. Um, like I, I can see a title. Yep. I read that. And uh, yeah, I just I really I am I'm kind of scared of what kind of brains are developing right now. Lack of attention, lack of actual knowledge, etc. cetera. Um, something quick. And I, we, I, we have other things to talk about. We've been talking about this for a while, but I just thought it was so fascinating. Something quick. And this is actually going to be in the latest issue of the Sovereign Tech newsletter. Um, there's a trick where you can, because one aspect of kind of distraction you were talking about, Ellen, with smartphones, where it's just sitting on the table and it's a problem. 
there's a very interesting trick you can do with your smartphone, whether it's iOS or Android. You can actually set your smartphone to grayscale where there's no colors on your phone. And it is amazing. I will have my phone sitting right next to me. And if I have it set for grayscale, I don't see the notifications anymore. The phone's still there. I can still use it if I need to, but it's not as appealing because it's not this wild world of colors sitting next to me. Mm. Okay. Everything's black and white. It's like eye candy. Right. Colors on. And Silicon Valley knows it. So New York Times did a huge story about this. And and they said, look, they are like the red, the red number one, you know, or the red number 50, depending who you are, uh, you know, you know, the, the blue, everything, all these colors, all these little designs and everything that 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 these apps and everything, you know, uh, have integrated into them are designed to really fuck with very primal forces in your mind. And once you turn that off, like I, I can only speak anecdotally, but holy shit. You stop paying attention to that mm, goddamn infinity box. It decreases box. the power over you. Yeah, yeah, I mean that fondle slab just doesn't get fondled anymore. I mean, like <laughs> it's 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 really fondle slab. <laughs> I dropped my fondle slab in the toilet the other day. Uh, <laughs> I think about that whenever I fondle it, and it's helped me not fondle it so much. <laughs> there, right, there, there's a solution. Pee on your phone. <laughs> I didn't pee on it. It was it was only in there for like half a second. Yeah, <laughs> didn't even get completely submerged, but it was still like one of those like slow motion like no. I see. You. I saw it coming. I saw it as it was happening, but was powerless to stop it. Yeah. Yeah, but that, that's something I recommend people try. Set your phones for grayscale and you will be amazed at like how little like suddenly your attention is not taken away by this thing. That, that, that all of the, I mean, these these people are, you know, they're like lost. Silicon Valley is pretty much Las Vegas. They are messing with your head. They are they're, you know, trying to oh, trigger man. every little primal impulse you've got. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of that, um, I know this isn't completely the same, but have you noticed like I noticed that um newer kitchen appliances and home appliances like washing machines, dishwashers, even stovetops and microwaves. The sound effects, it sounds like a slot machine. Oh, like, they're like, yeah. They're- I've seen several of them and they definitely remind me of like a game or a slot machine. It's really terrifying. And they often have, have apps attached to them as well. So like, I feel like none of this stuff is by accident, of course. Like they have whole departments. Every company has whole departments that researches user interface and user experience, right? Yeah. And they don't do any of this stuff by accident, whether it's the colors oh, they're turning or the your slot kitchen machine into a sounds. Theme park. Right. You know? <laughs> right. And and you're like, well, what's so bad about that? Well, it is bad because, like, listen to Brian's podcast where he played the clip about the attention economy. Right. Like, there is a, a whole economy that is built on your attention. There are companies that are competing for your attention. And at what cost? At What are you missing out on that's right in front of you? Your kids, your spouse, your significant other, your friends, your, your interests and your dreams and your goals and the things that you want to do? I mean, those are some hefty costs, but we don't realize it because our attention kind of gets bled away drop by drop. And it's really frightening when you kind of put the picture together. Yeah. You know, I think, I think a, uh, a critique that or a response that people would say to that is like, yeah, but if we didn't have all this stuff, people would just like you and I, Ellen, you know, like we were saying, we read, we would read books or maybe we'd watch movies or something like this. You know, people's attention would be somewhere, yes. but here, here's the thing is that, I don't social media posts. You can say there's an art form to it in the abstract, but no, that's not art. It's, you know, memes, maybe, I don't know, whatever, but it's not art as to where, look, 
a movie, like if your attention is taken by a movie, this is something finely crafted over years and years, blood, sweat and tears, you know, uh, to be brought before you. It's worth your attention because somebody like really like this is again, it's a work of art and art for me is I mean, like that's that's the, the foundation of the human condition, you know, is art and poetry and anarchism. Yeah. But go, go ahead, Ellen. Oh, so with books and movies, those might be distractions to some people, but they do require sustained attention. Right. And with social media, that's not sustained attention. You're yes. constantly switching between, uh, oh, like scrolling is such a crazy experience for your brain because you read one person's post and it might be like, oh, I had a bad day today, blah, blah, blah. And then you scroll down and somebody else is really excited about something and then someone's angry. And it's just this roller coaster of emotions and different topics. Uh, it's not sustaining your attention on one specific topic. You're not going in depth on anything. Uh, so for books and movies, I would say that that's totally different. Yes. Um, because you're actually practicing that skill and you might also be learning something. Uh, there's so much more that you can pick up from those things. Um, and another thing that I wanted to throw in, like it, talk about um, like if you want to increase productivity, uh, for sure, those those small drops that get bled away drop by drop of attention, um, if you just hang on to those, like those few <laughs> drops actually add up to so much. It's it's like this combined effect yeah. of, um, you know, being able to focus more on your career and your family and the things that you love. Um, it just is such a huge huge effect oh yeah yeah i mean people ask me all the time like brian how do you come out with all this stuff like how do you release so many things in a week or in a, you know and whatever well here's how <laughs> you know i'm not bullshitting you know i'm not I'm not, <laughs> not I'm not spending a bunch of time you know on nonsense websites like i'm i'm you know i'm nose to the grind on a lot of that um yeah i yeah thank you that that totally you know put more under my point um that yeah those are very different things like like this is they they are night and day um, yeah, I, you know, and, and add into all of that, the fact that, or not the fact, but I think the theory, I think it's fact that like a lot of these companies that develop these apps, especially Facebook and others, I mean, they're really engaging in, in social engineering. Like, I mean, they have, they have a direction they want things to go in and you can either choose to be a part of that tide or not to be a part of that tide. And I don't want to be a part of their tide. I've got my own. You it's know? extremely hard to choose not to be a part of it because there's so much because social the pressure. Yeah. yeah. And you really get sucked in and, you know, with the whole thing where they're now saying that they're onboarding kids to various social media and uh, accounts via their schools that they don't have a choice. Oh, there's, there's messenger for kids now. Facebook messenger for oh like, that's God. the name of the app. And, and it's, wow. I saw that and I said, as soon as I saw it, and ironically I posted on Twitter, yay, social media. But I said, it was like, they're coming for your children. Literally, like they're, they're, they are they're coming, for your coming for your children. Yeah, they, yeah. They've got some children already. I right. mean, like, yeah. and, and also with like the psychologists that are the government psychologists that are saying like, well, if you don't have certain social media accounts, you can effectively be considered mentally ill because who doesn't have them? I mean, it's getting harder and harder to opt out. And it's scary because like there's no constitution that guarantees your rights in any of this. It's all like not that the constitution is really a great um <laughs> you know protector of anybody's rights, but yeah. at least it's something and like 
Silicon Valley doesn't have that. You know, they can pretty much do anything. And like we know that Facebook has been experimenting on people and doing psychological experiments by manipulating people's news feeds um, without their consent. And there's extreme ethical issues in that. And that's just the tip of the fucking iceberg. Yeah, that's a point I've brought up often is that these companies, social media companies especially, have as much data about you and access to data about you and access to you as any doctor. And oh, more you, than doctors, you wouldn't yeah. let a doctor get away with what these companies get away with for a second. You'd, mm-hmm. you'd have them sued in a heartbeat. And to, for people to just let this keep running roughshod. Uh, yeah. Again, I mean, there's more info than your lawyers, too. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they know, you, know you better Everything about you. Yeah. You know, and based around, you know, all the different data collection algorithms that, you know, that they use. I mean, this is this is a very real concern. And, and it, it's, it's insidious, too. When you get people, they say, like, there's there's this joke. It's a very popular joke because people buy into it. That is, well, how do you know if somebody doesn't have a Facebook account? They'll tell you, right? Like, because they're saying that people that don't have Facebook accounts are really vocal about it and they're insulting them, saying that it's annoying that they, it's like, oh, yeah, well, why do they have to be so uppity about the fact that they don't have a Facebook account? Because it's a fucking act of rebellion in a very twisted society, quite frankly. And I think it's a good thing. Damn right. They should be proud about it if they don't have one. Um, but yeah, what can we do about it? I don't know. We all do our little rebellions of you know to keep our attention and ellen i think that's great that you know that that kudos to you oh thank you yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean i guess a part of it also was um you know kind of freaked out by the fact that that companies are selling my information and turning me into a product and i don't want to take any part in that right um i just want to have control over my life and and um you know getting rid of social media really gave me back that control i have the reins in my hand now hell yeah (laughs) individualism ftw yeah i'm happy to hear about that that's great yeah so anyway things to consider you know i think a lot of people are just kind of like looking to hear somebody say that oh yeah i've like this person's gotten off of social media or this person's done this and Mm -hmm. then you know when you hear it enough people are like yeah you know actually it's okay i I don't have to worry about what the dsm-5 says about my brain you know it says (laughs) that uh oh i i'm a a sick person or something no because that person's not doesn't isn't mentally ill and they don't have one either so i think it's important to get that out there that that people really are tired of this Mm. and legitimately and there's benefits to come out of it there's a quiet rebellion going on in silicon valley as well you know where people are leaving their phones behind and and turning them off and restricting access to their own email and stuff like that yeah they're having their assistants literally like put parental controls on their phones yeah they can't download apps if that's not enough of a message then i don't know what is so yeah yeah, it's okay if you want if this is something you want to do if you want to take a break or a fast or a uh, just be more conscious of what you consume as far as social media and, and phone screen time. Um, yeah, go for it. I mean, try it for a day, try it for a week and see how you feel. Yeah, yeah, because I think sometimes we can go overboard with social media for sure, uh, especially when it comes to Facebook. But, um, you know, just taking a break from it, however brief, it just reminds you that there is a world outside. And that yes. Uh, you know, not everything that happens on social media is important. I mean, right. there, there's so many other things that you could be doing with your life. Yeah. So it's it's just good to have that reminder because then you can more accurately, uh, you know, seek out the things that you do want to look at instead of just uh, vaguely searching through Facebook or scrolling without a purpose. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it, you know, I don't want to get down, go down this road, but I also think that it kills creativity. Like, I think it it, it doesn't inspire it. Or I mean, some of them can <laughs> potentially, but the ball, 
by and large, I think it kills creativity. I was uh, just giggling because, um, you know, Brian and I try to have like a, at least some time each week where we're like screen free, ideally each day. And yeah. that usually ends up being our workouts. Yes, but, exactly. Um, you know, we try to have some time other than that where we just, you know, take a bath together or, you know, go for a walk in the woods or go for a hike or something where we're Hot tub. C- completely offline. Yeah, that's what I meant by bath. Right, 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 Hot right, tub. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, or just, just do something where we're maybe like, we're together, but we're alone together, you know, like really alone alone. because we don't have the internet bothering us. Yes. Um, I mean, it could even be like doing a podcast sometimes, but that's more of like an active activity because we're, we're talking to each other and recording it, but we're not like engaging with the internet at that time. But we try to do those things like, you know, hikes and baths and stuff like that. And often we get struck with these creative ideas during those times that we just don't get any other every time. time every time yeah it's amazing how that happens like when your mind is free to start wandering like the things that you think of and the ideas that come to you yeah i mean and look you know real quick i just want to be and i do we do gotta uh, shift things up here but um i want to be empathetic to a lot of people i mean sometimes people are want these distractions these omnipresent distractions because you know they've got a lot of traumas in their life and they've got a, yeah. they don't want it they don't want to think about what's inside yeah. And I can respect, I can appreciate that, that that's going on for you and, and that that could be a very terrifying prospect. Um, I mean, there's people who said, well, why are we always on Facebook? It's because we all know we're eventually going to die and it gives us a sense of immortality because these things are always there. Like, I, I get a lot of these arguments, but I think we'll find ourselves far more uh, happy, which is the purpose of life, if, you know, we do get away from some of these distractions that don't really bear any fruit, you know, that aren't like full on art that aren't, uh, you know, all these different things. So anyway, I memes count as art, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, memes are great. You know, <laughs> no, no one's going to say any, anything different about that, but also you don't need Facebook for that. That's, that's what Imgur's for. But anyway, so Satire? yeah. <laughs> does uh, any any anything else anyone wants to no, get out a, there? That was a good discussion about that. Yeah, I really appreciate having that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you inspired it because I mean, I I think that that's you know it's good to take a at the very least take a break. If not, just fucking drop it. Step away from the screen. Take that's a right. Step away from the screen. Everything will be fine. Okay. So <laughs> anyway, I'm going to run an ad here, um, but. Uh, a couple ads, actually, because look, technology. No, and, and real quick, Ellen. I mean, you wouldn't say that. Like, it's not like technology is bad. We're not a bunch of luddites here. Oh, no. Yeah, of, of course, course not. not. Right. <laughs> we love technology. Yes. <laughs> it's going to take us to the stars or wherever or do whatever. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. So, uh, and of course, Sovereign Tech now running six years. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't make a very good tech show if I was just some kind of luddite, right? <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know. Those new wagon wheels are pretty cool. Yeah, man. Those new wagon wheels from uh, from Wells Fargo that they came out with. Those are really something. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> right. Yeah. But anyway, no, we love technology. Uh, one of the technologies I'll tell you that I'm very excited about, as always, is one of the you know first real revolutions in a while, which is uh, blockchain technology. Of course, uh, you know, Bitcoin, all of it, all that stuff. If you want to start getting involved, everybody's talking about Bitcoin now. No doubt about it. Uh, and, I mean, because of the price going up and down and blah 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 and but if you want to get into maybe investing in it because how nice it is uh to have 
the ability to to invest in money that's actually not government backed, that's not backed by force. So how about you get into some cryptocurrencies? If you want to do that, here's what I want you to check out. I want you to check out a service called Helium. If you want to start investing in cryptos without you having to do any of the busy work, check out Helium. Okay. It's a long-term savings accelerator powered by uphold.com. Helium uh, watches conversion rates between cryptos and, you know, so all the, you know, it's Bitcoin. I mean, there's a few different ones that they, that they run and it will, it'll automate that whole process uh, between cryptos and fiats for you. So it can convert your funds when the time is right. Just add funds to Helium from your bank or digital wallet and you're done. The rest is completely automatic. Like I said, so Helium, let your money move you sign up at Helium.com slash sovereign. That's H E L U M dot com. H E L E U M. Sorry, I do that every time. H E L E U M dot com slash sovereign, like my name, S O V R Y N, and get on that. And you're going to have a great time. Uh, I, I mean, it's such a simple service to use. It's really, really impressive. So, and I thank Helium for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. And, you know, while we're Didn't at Helium it... Helium just add a couple of uh, cryptocurrencies? They may, yeah, yeah, I think they did add a I couple. So this Bitcoin is something that's always and growing. Cash and some other things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in the cryptocurrency space is, is something that's always growing. Uh, and in fact, real quick, you know what? Let's do one more quick sponsor read. Because if you want to talk about the real growth in the cryptocurrency space, I think it's happening in one of the places that it's happening anyway. One of the most exciting places is with Zencash. Okay. If you want to find out about Zencash, this is just one of the most exciting. It's a genuine scientific development because it's a cryptographic breakthrough and crypto cryptography is a science folks. Um, go to Zencash.com or if you want to start getting some Zen for free, some Zencash for free, it's a cryptocurrency. Just go to uh, getzen.cash. That's the website, getzen.cash, and you can jump on it. Listen, like I could spend a whole episode. In fact, recently I did. I had the the co-founder of uh, Rob Viglione on the show, and we talked about Zencash for probably over an hour. This is the future getting built right now. This is technology that is going to empower the individual, not disempower you, perhaps like maybe social media does or like smartphones have the ability to do so. So Zencash, jump on it. Go to Zencash.com. Get involved in this. I'm excited about it. And I don't talk about many cryptos. There's very few that I recommend. This is one that uh, I'm on board with. There and is a faucet as well. Yeah, that, that's we what I always like to mention. Yep, oh, sorry. Zen, I didn't that's all right. Get Zen.cash uh, and, and you can get it right now uh, and i thank them also for sponsoring sovereign tech because you know this is a show where i i tell sponsors whenever we do it like look if you want to be a sponsor on my show there might be something that i'll say that could be antithetical to your business you're gonna to have to live with that or you can't be a sponsor and every one of them says we don't care you know because they know when i mention somebody that like that comes with a certain uh you know i don't just take anybody on board with this show mm -hmm. so do please do frequent our sponsors and we'll get to some more later but right now so Ladies, what do we want to, what do we want to talk about? Do we want to, you want to talk personalities? We've got a few subjects here that we could get into. We could talk about personalities. We could talk about, uh, I got an interesting story about metal music. Maybe we'll save that for later. Got a story about cuddling. Ooh. <laughs> what, what do we, you want to, you want to get into some personality types? I yeah, think that'd sure. be interesting to talk about. Totally. Okay. So, you know, you actually, you mentioned Stephanie earlier when we were talking about social media, you had said that, you know, maybe, maybe social media use differs based upon personality type. Well, there's one, there's a bunch of different like uh, personality, 
what would you call them? Tests? Personality yeah, theories? Yeah, ways, maybe? like models of, I guess, uh, categorizing people's personalities. Yeah. Now, one of the more popular ones, I mean, there's like, there's an Enneagram, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the uh, big five. Right. Is a popular one. Yeah. And maybe the most popular though would be Myers-Briggs, right? I, yeah. I don't know if it's the most popular, but it is pretty popular. Um, I, I think... <laughs> There's a lot of people who uh, use it in online dating, I guess. <laughs> That's where I like oh. I I don't know, like if you've ever been on OkCupid, like almost everybody will say like, "Oh, this is my Myers-Briggs type," but they often say it like in a cool way, like, "Oh, well, if it means anything to you, this is my Myers-Briggs <laughs> type." Like not saying I believe see, in this, you know. <laughs> okay, so see so so let me put this out there quick. Like anytime I, my feeling used to be not that long ago either used to be that any kind of thing like this is bullshit. Like mm-hmm. any of this kind of categories, because the human condition is so complex. It's so varied. Oh, right. Who wants you know? to be put into a box, right? Right, <laughs> right. And, and this is the thing, like it smacks, especially when you mentioned like with the dating thing, it smacks so much of just like astrology. It's like, Oh, what's mm-hmm. your sign? You yeah, know, that's or right. as the Zima would say, what's your sign you know, in the nineties, but <laughs> right. uh, <laughs> Oh my God, I haven't thought about that in a while. Well, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but, you know, that that was always kind of my feelings on it. Or even like in Japan, a very popular thing is, I mean, it, it's it's really tantamount to some kind of uh, uh, like elitist genetic, like almost a eugenics of sorts, or maybe not eugenics because we're not saying one's superior to the other, but where blood types are a huge deal in Japan. Mm-hmm. Like most people probably didn't realize this. I, I, I know, I know, Ellen, you're a bit of a gamer, um, but like, did you ever play the Final Fantasy games? No, I didn't. Okay. All right. That's all right. So, well, in the Final Fantasy, like, if you look in the in the the, the game manual for these games, like Final Fantasy VII or something, it's really weird. They'll they'll describe the characters in the games, and for some reason, they'll actually mention their blood type. And it's like, well, who gives a shit? Like, you don't even see blood in the games. Like, why the hell would they do that? And that's because in Japan, blood types tell a whole lot about you, according to them. You know, to the Japanese, um, it's not. I mean, it's kind of falling out of favor now, but now it's just kind of a fun thing. It's taken the same places like astrology has in the U.S., where some people take it seriously, but most everybody but he just does it for fun. Um, but you know, that, that it just, it kind of, it all kind of smacks of that sort of thing. But recently, Stephanie, you've been talking about it and you've kind of convinced me, yeah, maybe there's a little something more to this, but Ellen, I mean, what do you think about, you know, when you hear about personality, uh, types and tests and all this sort of thing, what's your kind of your abstract notion? So the first thing I think of is Myers-Briggs, of course, yeah. because to, like, that's the only one that I've been encouraged to take throughout my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and most people that I talk to know what it is and they'll be able to tell me what their four letters are. <laughs> uh, and I, I've taken the test a few times over the years just to see, like, am I still the same? And uh, for for a few years I was, but then, you know, I took it again more recently and I got a different result. And I was like, wait, is this right? I mean, the question seemed harder to answer because there's so much more nuance that I was noticing and um, I got a different answer the, the second and third time that I took it. So I am just wondering, like, are these t- maybe these tests are good for uh, like pointing out major characteristics that people have? Um, but I, I wouldn't say that they can clearly define everything about a person or or even maybe they can like scratch the surface. It's sort of an introduction like, yeah, I'm an introvert or I'm an extrovert or you know, this is this is how I view the world. I'm more optimistic. Um, but 
the human personality, like you were saying, is so complicated. It's got all these layers and yeah. and connections that um, I I would say that personality tests like they're uh, they're they're kind of like they give you a shade of a person, but they don't give you the full painting. Sure. <laughs> I, it, yeah. That's a great analogy. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, so Stephanie, like, I mean, you can describe what Myers-Briggs is more if people don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, what do you think about like what Ellen said? And Yeah. So let me just respond to that. So, sure. Brian, you said like, I've kind of convinced you that there might be something to it. Yeah. I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything. I actually started out. That's um, what the great convincer always says. <laughs> silver tongue serpent no. <laughs> no i mean i'm really not trying to convince anybody of anything like i i started out getting interested in this this year because i posted something on facebook about uh like different types of introverts and i was kind of making you know cracking some jokes about like oh you know like this myers-briggs is just astrology for nerds like that's something that a lot of people say about it and i was saying that too and then there was somebody on my friends list who saw the cartoon and saw my comments and took the time to like pick out some articles about the myers-briggs uh type indicator and sent them to me and i was like well i'm skeptical but i'll give them a read and i read them and That's i was exactly like exactly what an intj would say <laughs> <laughs> well apparently it is <laughs> um and i i did read them and i was interested enough to want to read more so i did read more and then i don't know i just kind of started getting more interested in it and i i understood some things about it that i didn't before and i thought it was useful now i think you're right, Ellen, that it doesn't give you a painting of a, it gives you shades of a person, but it doesn't give you the full picture. Obviously, there's everybody's an individual. And that's really important to remember when we're talking about any type of personality test, because like I said at the beginning of the segment, nobody wants to be shoved into a box and nobody wants to be like able to be just, you know, fit into a category and think that another person can understand them instantly. It doesn't work that way, obviously. Everybody's an individual, and that's really important to remember. However, I think that personality testing, not just Myers-Briggs, but like all different types of personality testing, can be a great tool for self-knowledge. And that's something that everybody is interested in or should... I everybody could benefit from getting to know themselves better. And this is just like sort of one way to do it. Um, That's why I like, that's why I find it interesting is like, oh, really? You know, I could, I could sort of ask some questions about myself and then get like a broad overview of like sort of maybe a, a, a broad personality type that I might fall within and then read about it and read, you know, read certain things about how, about different brain workings that tend to go together with this personality type. I mean, I just find it really useful for like self-knowledge. Um, one thing I didn't know about the Myers-Briggs, most people know about the um, the four letters, right? So, so your personality type is uh, expressed in these four letters. The first one is either I or E, introvert or extrovert. Okay. The second letter is N or S, that's intuitive or sensing. And that's introvert, extrovert is kind of self-explanatory. Most people know what that means. But intuitive versus sensing is something that isn't really obvious just from those words. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But just for now, the, the letters. So the first one is either introvert or extrovert, I or E. The second one is intuitive or sensing, N or S. 
The third letter is T or F, thinking or feeling. And the third one is J or P, judge, or the fourth one, sorry, is J or P, judging or perceiving. So those are the four letters. And so most people... Most people know about those. They just stop at those. The letters, but they stop at those. Yeah. But apparently it goes a lot deeper and there are like cognitive processes that go with each type. And they tell you more about how you process information on a conscious and a less conscious level. And maybe some of your like unconscious coping mechanisms that you might tend to fall back on when you're stressed or mm. when you're under pressure or whatever. Do these have some kind of lettering? Do they have some kind of nomenclature? Yeah, they do. Um, and it's similar to those letters that I just described. So okay. it's kind of it, it can be a little bit confusing. Um, so it, it's the cognitive processes have names like introverted sensing or extroverted mm. thinking or introverted feeling and things like that. Um, so they, they sound kind of similar to the letters. So it is a bit confusing. But if you can figure out your your personality type and then read about these cognitive processes, um, and in, in order to figure out your personality type, you can take a test. But if you get different results when you take the test, it might be useful to read about the cognitive processes of each one of those types that you tested as and then figure out which one most fits you um, and then sort of do it that way. Because that is a big criticism of the Myers-Briggs type indicator is that like you can get different results depending on when you take the test in your life or like what what mood you're in at the time. And I guess the key to that is that like some of the better tests for it will say, oh, this type can be mistyped as this other type. Mm. And maybe you should check out this other type, read about it, see if it fits you. And that might be useful. Um, another thing is like when you're taking when you're answering these questions to try to see what your Myers-Briggs types it is, you're supposed to answer as you like as your as your core self like really is like what's your natural tendency not like what do you aspire to be or what do you hope to be like because yeah if you answer that if you answer as what you would ideally like to be like or what you're trying to grow into it can be a very different answer than what your sort of core tendencies are sure so ellen so do you know what like what did you last test as if you're willing to reveal uh so the last time i took the test i was in TF. So I and that's not a type. So or is it INFJ? Oh, wait. I, I... <laughs> okay, let me think this through. So uh, for a very long time, I was INTJ, right. which, as I understand it, Stephanie is too. Um, Same here. So okay. So the last time I tested, I was INTP. Okay. Right. It, perception instead of judging. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So or what maybe was... it was. INFJ. <laughs> I think I think you and I talked about this once, and I think you'd you'd said that you had tested INFJ as well. Yeah, like later on, feeling mm-hmm. instead of um, was it thinking? Thinking. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So so like INFJ, which supposedly, as I understand it, is a very rare type. Mm-hmm. In INTJ and INFJ are both rare types. Yeah, and also they're like. I mean, because some have, of these personality share... types are complementary, right? Like they. Yeah. So. Um, 
those two types share the cognitive process of introverted intuition being their dominant cognitive process. And so they get along really well, not just because there's only one letter difference between them, but because um, they kind of process information in a similar way. And so they can understand, they can relate to each other on how they kind of view the world. So Myers-Briggs wouldn't say that like opposites attract. They would say the opposite. Um, Myers-Briggs doesn't really have have much to say about um, matches. I mean, there's there's well, a I lot. I mean, like relationships. There's a lot on it's you- being used for that. Right. No, there, I was going to say there's a lot on YouTube about like compatibility between different types. Mm-hmm. I think like a lot of people I've heard talk about Myers-Briggs and compatibility would say that like any type could be compatible with any other type. It's just, you know... Obviously, you can be more compatible with anybody if you sort of understand how they view the world and their thought processes and how they tend to tick, you know. Sure. So, Ellen, I mean, you know, hearing about that, there's like a further breakdown of each of these, like the I, the N, the T, whatever it ends up being, Mm -hmm. like that there's further breakdowns. I mean, does that change? Does that change your perspective at all on it, that it's a little finer point or do you still kind of stand by? Well, being a scientist, I'm always fascinated when I find that things are topics are fractal and that Ooh. there's more detail in there. <laughs> so I'm I'm really interested to learn more. It it makes me curious to know uh, what more is there to understand about the cognitive processes because mm-hmm. I know that there's more to personality than just these four aspects. But, totally, yeah. But and they they break down. It's a very complicated subject, I'm sure. Uh, explaining the cognitive processes and how they function together. Um, but something I've wondered about is, uh, do these personality tests maybe, um, do they explain people's motivations, uh, su- such as like what makes them feel important or, mm. um, you know, what it is that they hope to achieve in their life, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. So, yeah, there's a lot of articles that are are written about that and um you know varying degrees of accuracy but um I don't know, I guess you you would have to read about that for yourself. Obviously motivations are like an individual thing because everybody has sort of different values but um well, what sold like you I, on? The, or go ahead. For example, like I've I read, you know, just a fun article once about like what each Myers Briggs type would would hate about a job. Like, what would be your your nightmare job? And you know, <laughs> the the things that they said were were pretty interesting. Like, you know, for for one of my friends um, who literally writes books about making business processes efficient and like automating your business. It's for him, for his type, it said you would hate a place where there's no standardized protocols at your workplace. (laughs) It was funny how accurate that was. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I looked at mine and I I can't remember what it said, but it it was also accurate. So yeah, I mean, you can get little fun things like that, but um like start with the start with the first letter introvert extrovert i think that it's it's pretty it's pretty easy for everybody to understand like how that would be useful to understand if you have like introverted or extroverted tendencies and the difference between an introvert and extrovert is um extroverts tend to be very like what you see is what you get um they draw energy from being around other people and right. from interacting with other people and they you know they're very like kind of direct and upfront 
And introverts draw energy from being alone. They can be around other people, and sometimes they like to be around people, especially people they're comfortable with or they like and know. But they definitely need a lot of alone time in order to recharge their battery. They derive energy from that as opposed to being around other people. Sure. Introverts can make great actors because it's it's easy for an introvert to sort of put on a mask. They learn how to like kind of appear extroverted, even though that that's not really how they are. Um, whereas extroverts will pretty much never appear introverted. Yeah. So like, I think that's a really useful thing to know about yourself. Like, do how much alone time do you need to feel recharged? Or do you feel recharged when you're around other people? So would you say then that maybe what what's like sold this for you, Stephanie, mm-hmm. uh, on this idea, because you've become very interested in it? Like, I mean, that's yeah. not unfair for me to say. I tend to go down the rabbit hole with things. Well, I that's mean, true. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I mean, you're both scientists here. So, yeah, uh-huh. that's nature of the game, right? Mm-hmm. But um, so so would it be that because it helps you clarify, like, your own tendencies that you've never maybe had words for or had a descriptor for? Is that is that what excites you about it? Like, what, what sold yeah, it for you? Yeah, I mean, it, that's part of it. Like... So I've always felt from the time that I was a little kid that I was weird or different, especially I'll in, say. No. <laughs> <laughs> like sometimes weird in a bad way. Like I didn't fit in. I, sure. I had real trouble like fitting in with other kids. And in fact, like, you know, I remember my mother telling me that when I was in kindergarten, the teacher wrote on my report card that I wasn't playing with the other kids at recess. I was like sitting on a beanbag reading a book alone in the corner. Mm-hmm. And my mother thought that was extremely weird and she couldn't understand like why I would do that. She thought maybe there was like something wrong with me. But, and I've wow. always sort of felt like that it throughout my life. Like a lot of people didn't really get me and like reading about my pers- my Myers-Briggs personality type it is a relatively rare type, especially for women. And also joining like a Facebook group of other women of that type. It's amazing to just see how similar they are to me in in a lot of different ways. And to know that I'm not weird, like there are actually other people like me. And it's just that it's just that people have different personality types. It's there's nothing wrong with me. Like there are other people like that. And it's totally possible to be like completely healthy and functional. That's just kind of like how I am. Like that's kind of how I'm wired. And it makes me feel good to know that that's like normal, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's normal to be weird in a sense. I mean, what what thoughts do you have on that, Ellen? Well, it's it's always important, I think, for people to feel embraced and welcomed and loved for who they are. Um, So it's I'm so glad to hear that you found a community of people who are similar to you. Um, I guess what one question that brings up for me is, um, is it true that the majority of the world is extroverted? Um, I don't know the breakdown on introverted and extroverted, but I do know that the majority of the world is sensing. So the second letter, the N versus the S, N N types are intuitive, and that means they they tend to be more like in their own head, kind of like thinking about theoretical ideas and like wild concepts. And can't some some N types can be a bit more of a daydreamer, like kind of into the theoretical. Um, they're thinking of ideas and like uh, ways to fit everything into kind of a grand scheme and like putting stuff together and and solving puzzles. Whereas S. 
S-types, the sensing types, tend to be a lot more focused on the present moment and what's there in front of them, not really fitting, needing to fit everything into like a theoretical framework, but just kind of the practical, the day-to-day, like they tend to like, you know, be more into sports and like kind of, you know, drinking a beer on the weekends. And um, (laughs) whereas the N-types are more like, philosophizing and you know yeah. that yeah. kind of thing so most of the world is is s types not n types wow i can really see the difference i can like um, envision the the people in my life who are s type versus n type yeah yeah exactly and it's not that one is better than the other or anything like that it's just kind of like different types of people and whereas i think my friend who who also got really interested in myers briggs said that learning about n and s types he he found it really hard to relate to S-types. He's an N. He found it really hard to relate to S-types in the past. But once he read more about it, he understood that they're, that's just how they operate. And there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. And they actually have advantages that they can offer, like in a workplace setting. And, you know, that's just kind of how they are. And everybody sort of has their place in the world, <laughs> you know. And I, I could relate to that, too. Yeah, I can see, like... I guess where I wouldn't take issue with this, but that's not always how it's displayed, is that, okay, as long as we're not going to create a caste system around this. Yeah. And as long as we're not going to base our, like, relationships on this, like saying, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's like astrology, where, oh, you can only date a Gemini or you can only, you know, do this sort of thing. Right. I mean, then if it helps you, like, understand where people are coming from, I mean, well, then what the hell? But I think part of the problem is, and I don't know what personality type of this person would be, but it's a lot of them, I think. Where they want to take this and suddenly, you know, they do want to turn it into a caste system. They do want to turn it into justification for excluding people, for, uh, you know, all, all, all kinds of things. And I, 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 that's another part just where I think it, it would still kind of rub me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though when I hear you talk about it, Stephanie, I'm like, oh, well, that, you know, that makes sense. Like, yeah. there's nothing crazy about that. I would never want to exclude anyone based on it. And mm-hmm. actually, everything that I've gotten out of it has has felt like it's been including me. Like, I, I mentioned the story about me, like, sitting on a beanbag reading alone when I was a little girl. Like, yeah. if my mother or, like, my teachers had just understood that that was kind of, like, just how I was and that was actually normal for me, I I would have felt a lot more understood i guess like yeah. about some of the things when i was growing up it's fun to like read an article where they they describe like your personality type as a teenager and it just nails it and and you feel so understood and that's something that i didn't experience often as a teenager so you know that was cool nice so now you get the vindication yeah yeah <laughs> and, and i wouldn't i would never want to use it to create a caste system or to exclude being friends with anybody or anything like that but I, I feel like there are some specific people in my life that I've asked about their Myers-Briggs type. And once I once I heard what it was and I read about it a little bit, I was like, oh, that's why they do that. That makes sense. You know, I think I understand them a little bit better and I understand myself a little bit better. And isn't that what we're always trying to do is just find different ways? I'm not saying this is the end all be all of self-knowledge or anything like that, but right. it's it's one way to help maybe understand get some better understanding about yourself and other people hopefully that's what you get out of it right and yeah. and what could be bad about that sure ellen any uh well i i agree with you i think it's good to have better self understanding and i guess this could be a great tool for that Aha, to, a tool yeah. yes a tool to understand your own cognitive processes 
Yeah. Um, and definitely read about the cognitive processes if you, yeah. you know, um, there's a couple of websites I'll recommend at the end, end of this discussion if anybody wants to check that out. Well, would would you mind finishing uh, your explanation of the last two letters? Oh, sure, sure. So um, the thinking and feeling is the next letter. So that's the third letter. And it's not like, do you have feelings or not? You know, or do you just think, are you are like you a, a robot? logical robot? <laughs> it's it's definitely not like that. I mean, everybody has feelings and we devote a lot of our brain power to feelings, you know, according to tons of science and, and everything else. Um, but it, it's more like what kind of primarily guides your de- guides your decision making? Is it do you do you really go on your feelings? Do you um, is it really important to you um, to sort of fit into a community and to uh, be considering what everybody else feels and thinks um, and your own feelings? Or do you tend to make decisions more based on uh, thinking and things that are independent of things that are a little bit more um logic driven or practical driven or whatever are you more of like a like maybe a lone wolf a little bit not considering how other people will feel about something as much um and then the last one is judging and perceiving uh, j or p um so j people tend to be more like planners they want to uh they they kind of want to know about something they want to make decisions whereas p people tend to more go with the flow Hmm. and they're less apt to plan things out um they're more flexible more spontaneous they actually sometimes tend to hate planning (laughs) quite a bit um p people i guess can can tend to go down the rabbit hole with things like they'll you know follow a trip they'll start reading a book and then they'll kind of go down the rabbit hole whereas j people are like a little bit more um less likely to do that um it's not like whether you're judgmental either necessarily. Ah. Um, it sounds like that. Like sometimes the words are a little bit weird. Um, I think there's more to it, but that's one I don't quite understand as well as the other three. But yeah, definitely the planning element is in there. So sure. maybe judging what the best use of your time is before you use it instead of just responding to stimuli. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, more of the planner. Yeah. yeah, perceiving, going with the flow. Yeah. So, so those are the four letters, but, you know, like I said, definitely check out the, the cognitive processes as well, because that's like a whole, (laughs) that's a whole other world. And there is a way to like get the cognitive processes from the letters, but it's, it's kind of easier just to like take a test, figure out what is likely your type and then read about the cognitive processes. I actually did this experiment where I had tested, um, the first time I took a Myers-Briggs test was in high school and I tested as INTJ. Um, and I was like, okay, I didn't really look into it too deeply, but I, from what I saw, it seemed like it kind of fit me. Then I took another test years later, like in my twenties and I tested INTJ. That was the one that Brian and I took together. We both tested INTJ. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) and then we were like, oh, that's cool. We're both the same type and it's kind of rare and that's interesting. And then we forgot about it. And then I posted that thing on Facebook with the little cartoon and, uh, the, the, the person who got, you know, got me more interested in it was sending me articles and I took the test again and again, INTJ. But I think I took another test in there and I may have tested as something else. Some of the tests just 
I don't know, I feel like aren't as good as others. <laughs> so I can totally see why people criticize it and they say, oh, well, my results are slipping around. What does that mean? Um, but it might just it might just mean that the test you took wasn't very good or you have to like follow up and, and look into it a little bit more. Okay. So I'm curious, like, can a person, can a person actually, like, I mean, Ellen, you had mentioned how, you know, you had changed a, a couple or like it had tested, the result was different a couple of times. Right. Line. Like, can a person change? Like, can, can, can a personality type change? Supposedly, no. Like once you're an adult past, past childhood and able to take a test like this, it's pretty much set in so stone. So fluctuations would be based on the quality of the test. Uh, yeah, that's or right. Or the lack thereof. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Or you're not you're not answering it like as your core tendencies. You're answering the questions as you wish you were or something like that. Yeah, see, that seems kind of limiting, too. But I, I get your point. Yeah. Well, but supposedly, I'm, like these cognitive processes are sort of hard coded. It's almost like a way you have of like interacting with the world. And do they say what codes them? No. Like the people behind the Myers-Briggs. There, there's a neuroscientist, um, Dario Nardi, who's trying to do, who is doing some research on Myers-Briggs types and trying to associate like um, genetic stuff and like neuro, uh, neuroscientific markers, markers with, yeah. with the different types. Yeah. yeah. But right now there is nothing that like that, that links certain genetics. And by the way, like this was... The, like people criticize it and say it's unscientific. And I mean, that's totally fair because at the time when it was sort of developed, there really wasn't much to speak of in the way of neuroscience around. Sure. It's based on the theories of uh, Carl Jung. But it, there was a book called Gifts Differing that was written by Catherine Cook Briggs and her daughter, Isabel Myers Briggs, or sorry, Isabel Briggs Myers. And it they developed these 16 personality types and the cognitive processes that sort of went with them based on Carl Jung's work. And I think I actually think that's one of the reasons that people say this is unscientific, not just because neuroscience and psychology were not as developed um in terms of their science at the time when this was when this was around in the 1950s, but also because it was developed by two women. Ah, <laughs> um, <laughs> so that lends it to not being taken seriously. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, Ellen, do you have any other thoughts on this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would be interested to discuss why you think it is that people don't take it seriously because it's developed by women. But because people tend not to take female scientists seriously and and they weren't scientists. They were basically like, I don't think they really had the credentials that someone like Carl Jung would have. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that could lend to it, too. Um, just quickly, I'll say, like, there's there's a guy, Charles Fourier, who I understand people are going to have all kinds of problems with that name if they know who he is. Mm -hmm. But he was a guy from like the 19th century and he developed what he thought was like the, the science of personalities. And this would have been actually would have started in 1799. So even before the 19th century mm. and Charles Fourier came up with this whole idea called the passional tree where, and I think he ended up saying that there was like 800 something different personality types um, all, all told outside wow. of this person. Yeah. Out, outside of this passional tree, because he thought that like, people have these 12 passions and whatever ones they concentrate on and whatever like that, that defines your personality. It's really, it's really interesting stuff, but people laughed at it or a lot of people 
the main, certainly the mainstream science community of his day and to today laugh at him, you know, and, and, and think that he's ridiculous, uh, no women involved, but yes, I, I can, I can understand why two women would not be taken seriously about anything at any point in the 20th century, let alone the 21st. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, Ellen, I mean, what, what else did you have? Oh, so, um, the, the reason that, well, first of all, I want to say that like, I don't agree that personality is stable your entire mm -hmm. life. Um, so personality is based on our sense of self, how we perceive things, how we think about things, how we interact with ourselves and with the outside world. And um, genetics does play a large role in how our brain is structured and, and you know, how we develop. But there's also this thing called neuroplasticity where people can change their brains over time with, mm -hmm. with, you know, a uh, certain stimulation repeated again and again, or, um, you know, just being trained to think in a different way. Um, so I feel that it is possible that somebody could change their personality over a series of years. And I've actually felt that with myself. Like when I was in high school, I was very, very much more introverted than I am now, but I also, um, I didn't feel emotions for other people, I suppose, as much. Like, empathy mm. was something that didn't come easily to me at all, um, and it, it took me a long time to learn to develop that, uh, and I feel that now I, I actually have, <laughs> I have a much better sense of, uh, how to relate to other people, and I feel what they're feeling, and, um, I think that has changed a lot of how I view the world. Mm -hmm. So maybe the difference in in results for the Myers-Briggs test for me was based on a change that has been a long time in coming. Yeah, that's sometimes it's really hard to answer those questions. Like it'll say stuff like, um, you know, do you tend to uh It'll say, like, do you tend to make decisions based on gut instinct or do you, like, try to get gather as many facts or information as you can? Or, and you're like, hmm, that's hard to answer because yeah. I do both. And what about at different times during my life? Am I thinking, like, over most of my life or right now? Like, it's really easy to kind of, like, overthink the questions and yeah. get different, res different, different results. Yeah. I mean, empathy is it's an instinct. Like, it's not this isn't just something you know, I mean, you develop it, you foster it and all that. Like, it's a very complex uh, uh, concept in and of itself. It's a biological universal, though. You know, not just yeah. humans have empathy, like all kinds of creatures have empathy. Um, I think, you know, and I and, and I glad to hear, you know, how you're, you're, you're fostering that. Ellen. <laughs> I mean, you know, because I think most of society like stuffs it down. Oh, I'm sure know. I had it when I was younger, but it was, right. you know, kind of beaten down for a while. Oh, it does. And society it does back. it to people. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I think it, it's an incredibly important thing, but I, I think you've got a point there because empathy is so central to your biology, not, not, not even just your mentality. Yeah. I mean, your mentality is part of your biology. I understand that, but, but like that, that's such a key part of what, of what a human is. Um, and how it can express even outside of instinct that, yeah, that's the part that that's the part I don't buy is that, is that like that the personality types can't change. That's why I asked that question because I was like, I was like, really? They, I mean, so I think that what I would say to that is like, you know, dogs have a personality, right? Mm, yeah, I, I, would I guess say so They're, they or a temperament they have at least. temperaments and behaviors that you can rely that you can somewhat predict what mm -hmm. they'll do. 
Yeah. And and different animals have different personalities. Like it's obvious that they're individuals. Like some animals are much more friendly than others. Some mm-hmm. some are bred like golden retrievers are bred to be friendly and things like that and trusting. Mm-hmm. Um and you can even see it with babies. Like some babies are very interactive with other adults and some are like way less so, you know. So I think you can see things like introversion, extroversion, how willing people are like how willing babies are to like explore and want to have new experiences and things like that. Um, I think you can see some of those traits coming out like pretty early. And so obviously there is a genetic component and yeah, you can, you can totally train yourself to change your behaviors. You can train, you can even like, I would go so far as almost rewire your brain through neuro neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. Um, And as you get more healthy and well-adjusted and work on stuff, trauma can change your brain as well. Um, sure. in, in the opposite direction to, you know, basically like cause you to react in certain ways uh, that you didn't before you were traumatized. Uh, but I think there are some core elements to personality. And so it makes sense. It makes sense to me like a Myers-Briggs type or a personality type isn't like a, a fatalistic thing. It's not like a death sentence. It's not like, you, you know, you're, <laughs> you're doomed to like have these bad qualities and good qualities forever and you can never change. Of course, you can become well more well-adjusted and you can get to know yourself better and you can be a healthy, the healthiest version of yourself, but you're always going to be yourself. Like you always have some core things about yourself that are central to your personality that kind of make you you. And I don't think those things change really. Hmm. All right. Ellen, anything on that? Um, well, I, I guess I'd be interested to know, like, what is it that you think you can't change about yourself? Because I mean, sure, there are some central pillars of my personality that I can't imagine changing. Like I'll always be a curious person. Mm-hmm. Um, but for example, uh, like what I was talking about earlier with the, the empathy, Mm -hmm. um, that is something that like when I learned to develop it and practice it, there were all of these other, uh, personality traits that came out of that. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was kind of, it it was like, you know, watching a plant leaves unfurl. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's certain things that I think, um, do, change over time or at least the the sands shift uh and maybe your personality traits are very similar throughout your lifetime but i don't know that they would always be exactly the same well it's an interesting point about the curiosity because i mean that might even be like a genetic expression like there's what they call the explorer gene Mm -hmm. um yeah there's there's almost certainly a genetic component to that because there there have been genes associated with like the dopamine d5 receptor Right. Or something like that. There's polymorphisms that people tend to seek out new experiences or take risks more readily than people who don't have those polymorphisms. Yeah, it's it's a subject I've only ever lightly touched on on Sovereign Tech, but I, I think yeah. the Explorer gene particularly is a really interesting road to go down. And every um, time we, we talk about these genes, like we have to talk about the fact that, again, it's not it's not a fatalistic thing. Right. It's not it doesn't mean that you're definitely going to have a certain outcome or that you're hard coded to be a certain way and there's not much flexibility. I just think that like, for example, with introversion and extroversion, that's a good one. Like you can certainly um, learn, like if you're naturally a very introverted person, for example, 
um, you can learn to go out more and to, you know, kind of push yourself out of your comfort zone and have new experiences and leave the house. But at the core of your personality, at the core of who you are, is that sort of tendency to naturally want to, you know, prefer to stay in rather than go out, (laughs) you know what I mean? Or to get energy or to derive energy from alone time. And I mean, you can try to change that, but it's going to be pretty hard to change. Just like if you're not impossible is what you're saying. Not, not impossible, but like, I don't know that that core tendency is always going to kind of be there. And like, you can change your behavior, but personality core personality is is harder to change i would say it's very very difficult or like the thing is like if you're if you're a person who's naturally a planner it can be a great personal growth experience to learn more to go with the flow but it's something that you have to learn and something that you have to work at you know and conversely if you're somebody who's way more naturally go with the flow and doesn't like to plan you can learn to be a better planner but it's going to be kind of a struggle you know and it's like you're going to be it's it's an uphill battle both ways i guess to to sort of learn and grow and that doesn't mean it's something you shouldn't try to do but it's it's going to be it's not going to be as easy as the path of least resistance, which is just continuing with your natural tendency. Yeah. I think, I think this is like pretty interesting stuff. And I think there's other personality uh, uh, models that I would be interested to kind of like you know, yeah, go down sure. and explore. Not right now, obviously, but mm-hmm. this is, this can be heady stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still on that side of, okay, don't, don't put me in a box don't like you know don't and don't say that i that i can't i'm not saying you're saying this stephanie but don't say that i can't change don't, mm-hmm. you know th- those kinds of things um but i definitely like the idea of this being a tool for you to do self-analysis and self-growth mm-hmm. like i i think that that's that's very helpful um but yeah let's just let's not turn it into a caste system so yeah, <laughs> yeah. For sure yeah. absolutely that's yeah. great for giving you words to explain how you think or what you feel yeah. yeah, I like that aspect of it. And just knowing that there are other people out there that are similar to yourself, especially if you've grown up sort of not uh, not yeah. feeling that way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, I mean, you're a big weirdo. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and I think actually not having like this kind of language and stuff is part of where, you know, earlier we were mentioning the good old days, right? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people fall into this this concept of whoa, you know, let's go back to the good old days when things were simpler. Things were never simpler. Things have always been complex. You just didn't have words for it, you know, like to, to explain what was going on, maybe the abuses or the, I mean, positives or negatives, but unfortunately I think a lot of negatives were just, you know, either ignored or again, there were no words for it. You didn't know how to express what happened to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, that's really important to, to, again, to have these tools. I think that's really great. Mm So, so uh, can I give some resources for anybody who's interested? Yes, actually, yes. Okay. Mention those websites. I'll put them in the show notes as well. Okay, cool. So the first, the the test, my favorite test for finding out what your Myers-Briggs type is, is on a website called Keys to Cognition. That's Dario Nardi's website, which mm-hmm. I mentioned before. He was trying to associate neuroscientific things with the Myers-Briggs Um He's a neuroscience researcher, and they actually keep like a big academic study on on the types. And and I like this test because it gives you options at the end. Like you take the test and it says you're probably this type, but some common mistypings are, are these other two. So maybe you should look into these other two. So 
the website is keys number two cognition dot com okay. and uh the we'll link to the test in the show notes yes. that's on the website um I for reading about the cognitive functions, uh, there's a website called Type in Mind, and that is really good at describing the cognitive functions and how they apply to your specific personality type. Um, so that's that's Type in Mind, and they have every all sixteen of the types laid out there. You okay. can read about them in detail, and it's it's funny like how detailed and accurate they can be. Um, <laughs> Oops. <laughs> we got a coffer. <laughs> yeah, we got a coffer. Uh, <laughs> water. Get somebody water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um and I'll I'll mention a negative resource that I don't like, and that is the sixteen personalities website. That comes up in it has very good SEO. Okay. But I don't like their test. It got mis- it. It mistypes me and then they try to sell you a report. Like, All right. So um, <laughs> I'll put them in the show notes as don't like. Got it. <laughs> or don't even bother putting them in the okay. show notes. All right. uh, and then the last one I would recommend is um, Heidi Preeb. She writes about Myers-Briggs types and she, she writes a lot of like humorous articles, but she also writes a lot of like serious articles that I think she really gets it and she really makes it accessible and explains it very well. She had an article explaining all the different cognitive functions and sort of giving a summary of each. And she also writes like funny articles of like, oh, you can spot an INFJ by this or whatever. So (laughs) uh, any anything by Heidi Preeb, I would recommend. Cool. All right. Um, Well, Shall we move on? Yeah, sure. Thanks for sharing, Stephanie. That yeah. was awesome. Yeah, thanks. I wanted to thanks get that listening. out there. I mean, and especially, like, I remember a couple of years ago, and I'll just say this quickly. A couple of years ago, like, a libertarian types and all of them were very much into, like, oh, we're all INTJs and all that stuff. And that's where I get worried <laughs> about the caste system, because it's like, mm-hmm. well, and so what? Yeah. You know, if, if you are, great. But what does that mean? Why? Because... Yeah, they were saying the S types are status. Yeah. And the, oh, my yeah. gosh. <laughs> you know, and, and the like, NT is a, is supposed to be like rationals. Yeah. And they were saying, oh, we're rationals and so oh, we're superior. Like, well, libertarians fall into that trap anyway. They yes. think they're like, it, they've got this impervious logic and they don't have these pesky feelings that everybody else has yeah. that fuck up their decisions. Well, I And think it's that's really where, elitist. But you can get elitist without invoking the Myers-Briggs, for that's sure. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I'm a very emotional person. I'm totally elitist. So, you <laughs> know, like that's... <laughs> <laughs> anyway um so yeah all right you know let's shake it up let's 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 get into something i mean let's that was fun to up. discuss oh, yeah. but yeah. i think you know let's, let's get into something fun here um and this is so i don't know when this article originally was posted but it said it was updated january 17th 2018 so and that's just what a couple days ago yeah <laughs> so but i know i had the tab open long before that uh so regardless anyway this is pretty fresh and i think that this is cool and this is something i've wanted to talk about because you know we're talking about how this can be a tool to help you do self-analysis maybe some self-therapy or something like that or even full-on therapy or whatever um something that i think me personally um that the world is really missing. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I wonder what personality type wouldn't be into this. Maybe INTJs wouldn't, I don't know, but I would say that's not true because I think this is a great thing. Um, but one of the things that I, I know it's kind of risen in popularity in the past few years. Uh, in fact, there was uh, recently, what was it called? Um, was it CuddleCon? <laughs> of all things. <laughs> but what this is, is, you know, cuddling, like, and just cuddling, just, just, just cuddling. Um, Stephanie, would you be, would you, 
All right. Well, first off, could you describe for me like what you would say cuddling is? And you know what I mean? Like this is mm. where, where people either, you know, uh, friends or groups or whatever, like they just get together and they just kind of and, and they cuddle. Like, could you describe that quickly? Sure. And then. Yeah, I would say that cuddling, the act of cuddling is engaging in physical touch in a safe, comforting environment with another human being or animal. Um and it's non-sexual. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just physical touch um, releases certain hormones like oxytocin that sure. induce a feeling of well-being and euphoria. Um, touch, physical touch is very important for developing babies. Um, you know, there's to the point where they have volunteers in the neonatal intensive care units that will hold premature babies in right. order to help them develop they get whole volunteers for this yeah yes. that's right it's amazing um, yeah. and they need to be held as often as possible because it helps them regulate their breathing and their heart rate it helps them feel safe and know that they're you know they're being cared for and it improves their survival very measurably ah, okay. so yeah t- touch is very important for babies right even from stage one of from the human life, one. it's important, but it's also important for adults as well. Yeah. I mean, there's well, such I a thing as becoming touch starved, where if you haven't had human contact for a long time, it can really start to uh, boggle your mind in certain ways. Uh, there are negative effects. Yeah, negative effects. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are even professional cuddlers right now that will cuddle with you for wow. the rate almost of a massage therapist. <laughs> this needs to be a thing, like yeah. a more of a thing. Uh-huh. Professional cuddlers. We'll explain why, but yeah. There there are professional cuddlers. There are also um, cuddle parties. There's a phenomenon of something called a cuddle party, which is a gathering where there are specifically defined rules at the beginning. Um, you know, the, there's like a circle that's held and the rules are explained, which basically like, you know, anyone can say no to cuddle with anybody else yep. or to any specific Full type consent type of cuddling that they want at any time um you know you have to ask before you start cuddling with someone obviously and they're allowed to say no um encouraged to say no if they feel at all uncomfortable people wear pajamas they bring like pillows they bring stuffed animals perhaps they just (laughs) you know like anything that makes them feel comfortable and like soft and fuzzy and then people basically just cuddle with each other yeah and you know, and it's supposed to be, you know, non-sexual. Sure. Um, I think some people probably break that rule sometimes. But because, they want. Well, I mean, you know, in our culture, in our culture, we are used to associating any kind of physical touch with sex, but mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. T- touch can be completely non-sexual. And in fact, like when you're talking about a massage therapist, it, it, it is like by law and by professional conduct code, definitely, you know, supposed to be non-sexual. Sure. Um, so. So I think this dovetails this conversation and I have an article. It's 10 incredible benefits of cuddling that make you want to cuddle now. Mm. And I think, I think this dovetails nicely off of what we were talking about earlier, like, you know, with, with social media and the distraction of smartphones and all this stuff, like, you know, you're not actually with the person, you're not like there. And this is maybe like the, one of the, one of the epitomes, um, I guess there can't be multiple epitomes, but I'm going to say it. One of the epitomes of that, of, of coming together of, of that closeness that humans are sorely lacking right now. Otherwise there wouldn't be like, like why would, why should cuddle parties be a new thing? Um, why, why should cuddle con, you know, be a thing if this was just a natural part of, of, you know, human interaction, human mm-hmm. social, uh, you know, uh, socializing. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
I, well, let me ask this first out and I'll answer first, but I mean, you know, myself, yeah, I think cuddling's great. You know, I guess I, I would call myself a cuddler if that's the sort of thing. I mean, mm-hmm. Stephanie, would you consider yourself a, a cuddler? I enjoy cuddling, um, but I would have to be very comfortable. I prefer to be comfortable with of the course. person I'm cuddling with. And I also recognize that there is a lot of potential for um, boundary violations in situations where people who don't know each other that well are cuddling mm-hmm. or people are asking for cuddling or cuddle parties. Right. I recognize that a lot of people, because there's this confusion between physical touch, any physical touch and sex in our culture, Yes. Um, there is a lot of opportunity for uh, unwanted behavior and people trying to escalate cuddling. Or people using cuddling as a euphemism for asking for sex. Yes, and absolutely. so I just yeah. want to acknowledge all of that in, at the same time and say that yes, I'm I'm genuinely talking about just straight up cuddling. I like it if I'm comfortable with the person, and there's not many people that I would want to cuddle with. Sure, <laughs> there's a uh, short list. Well, Let's I mean, put that, it that would, way. <laughs> for me, like to some degree, that would fall under maybe like a Dunbar number or something. Sure, yeah. Um, but yes, of course. Lots of consent, lots of communication, you know, just as any really every human interaction, I think, should be lots of consent and lots of communication, Mm -hmm. not just cuddling or anything or, you know, certainly sex. Yeah, I know that was a long disclaimer, but I just think it's important to get that out there. Sure. Ellen, would you consider yourself a cuddler? Is this something? Yeah. And I can actually answer much faster now because Stephanie (laughs) explained everything that needed to be explained. I love cuddling (laughs) in in its truest sense. Um, Yeah. But I'm, I'm like a very touchy-feely kind of person but yeah with a select few people i i would say right on um but i mean any person i'll give a hug to (laughs) is that like momentary cuddling yeah (laughs) yeah i would say a hug is momentary cuddling um i wouldn't give a hug to just anybody (laughs) okay maybe not any that's overstating but there are a lot of people i would hug yeah sure or high five (laughs) yeah it's more acceptable (laughs) high five for sure yeah have you ever heard of that there's this old um indian lady who is known for just like she just people line up and she just gives everyone a hug and she like blesses you i guess or something like that that's so sweet but yeah people line up they wait for like 24 hours in line to get a hug from her like she's totally famous this is like what she does she must give the best hugs (laughs) (laughs) make you feel really warm and cuddly after that hug yeah for sure i'll tell you if there's somebody who could make money doing that Right in front of me. Stephanie, you are a hell of a hugger. <laughs> I mean, you really are. You. In fact, well, no, I, never mind. I won't tell that story. But <laughs> I, but, at the beginning of uh, when Brian and I were getting together, um, we I, hu- I hugged him a little bit too long. Yeah, <laughs> I, I started he, noticing. I was like, oh, these hugs are going a little long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I like to give hugs to people I want to hug, but at the same time, I also realized that yeah like people do use that as an id they'll they'll yes. they'll hold out their arms and they'll be like oh give me a hug and they have like creepy intentions they have intentions of escalating it sure um perhaps further than they're saying or or whatever or they want to cop a feel or grope you at the same yeah. time and yeah. you know like that is that is on any 
woman's mind, I would say, and, you know, maybe some other genders as well. Um, But that is on lots of people's minds when they think about hugs and cuddling is that just the potential, the creep potential. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, a lot of a lot of the concerns being brought up, I think, are why some of these things aren't like more of a part of our society and aren't aren't more normalized or seen as okay. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and it's it's a shame that some people ruin it for everybody, yes. which is, can be a beautiful thing. But yeah, like why is that that why is it that physical like any kind of gentle loving physical touch is so associated with sex in our culture? You know, I, that's an interesting question to think about. I don't necessarily have an oh, answer. Oh, I, I I know what the answer is. What's the and answer? I, and actually I think the guy I mentioned earlier, Charles Fourier, would would agree with this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because there because society is very sex starved. There's an incredibly negative association with sex, and I think that that is a component of like you know, there's no requirement that it has to be had or whatever, but it is a component of, you know, what makes us human. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a procreation component either. It's, it's a social lubricant. I mean, we see this in other animal species and the fact that we're not allowed to express it almost at all is what makes the slightest touch. I think, uh, very like, like get, get registered in that way. Mm. Um, are we what touch starved be. as well? You think? Oh, absolutely. And that's why yeah. I think that this article is important. And that's why I want to like kind of bring this out because this is something, I mean, you know, you want to walk, I, I really would love for people to walk away from like episodes of sovereign tech with the actionable things. I, I try to do that every week. Mm-hmm. Like this is something you can integrate into your life. And this is one of those things that all of the concerns totally brought out front. And I'm glad both of you mentioned them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, you know, this is something that we, I think we want to think about and, and it's mm-hmm. fun too, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's a whole hell of a lot of fun. So I, I was just thinking about this more just before you start. Like, are we just empathy starved and attention starved in general? Because I feel like this this is something that would probably start in childhood where it just people's yeah. parents don't pay enough attention to them and don't form this like really secure bond because oh, of they're, the parents aren't around or or whatever. They've got three kids and they can't give them all attention or, or whatever. And yeah, and then the kid like grows up and gets a little older and they're like, oh, you know, if somebody like if I want somebody to pay attention to me, I have to like, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure, but like, I think it goes beyond being sex starved and it goes beyond being touch starved. Like we most a lot of people in American culture and society and all over the world in general today are are just starved for human connection in a lot of different ways. Uh, absolutely, yeah. because the bulk of what they're getting is through an iPhone screen. What <laughs> right. the hell is that? You know, yeah. <laughs> Talking about things that remove touch from society, I feel like there's so many things that contribute to that, uh, being attention and love starved and uh, even sex starved. You know, yeah. there's uh, in childhood, you know, parents are doing the nine to five. So maybe they send you to a babysitter and you don't get held and, um, like when, when I was growing up, I had, uh, three sisters and one brother and we all like slept in the same bed sometimes. It was great. I got so much cuddling out of that. But, <laughs> but as I grew older, like everybody's attached to their phones. It's weird to touch other people. Mm. You can't do it in the workplace because it's harassment. Uh, you know, other people don't want you touching them yeah. even if they're your friends because they're not accustomed to it either. So there there are just all these forces interacting i think that lead to us not being comfortable touching other people in ways that i think express a degree of closeness and and affection mm-hmm. not necessarily sexual but also i think that that could be part of it too yeah i mean yeah. anecdotally you know myself uh, i had a best friend a guy 
uh, who for, I mean, 15 years, you know, this guy was my best friend. And I mean, from teenagers up when I'd sleep over his house, we'd, we slept in the same bed. I mean, mm. sometimes we, you know, touch and whatever. And like, it didn't, it didn't matter. Cause I mean, cause that's, that's the flip side too, right? Is that there's always the threat, particularly against women, that any touch could turn into something that is not wanted. Right. Right. I mean, and with guys also, there's the threat that the social threat that what are you gay? You know, mm, what, what's wrong yeah, with you? Yeah. You're not supposed to like guys aren't supposed to express themselves this way. And I love those classic pictures where they show that guys used to hug each other a lot. They used to like yeah. sit on each other's laps. They used to do all this wow. stuff in society in Europe and all these other areas. There's so and, many pictures of these guys. Yeah. Like holding hands, putting yeah. their arms around each other, hugging. Oh, it's really sweet. Actually, I mean, yeah, but, we yeah, are attention so starved and, 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 and it's, it's, we're not just starved. It's getting stolen from us. Like we were saying throughout the entire first hour of this episode is absolutely getting stolen. The only thing you're touching now days is that touch screen yeah and right. and it's flap. not touching that's you why back. we're so goddamn connected to those things yeah, <laughs> right. yeah oh so anyway let's talk about the good parts of this because I mean, we can just say it in the abstract sure but i i think i thought that this article was was interesting so i want to read it a bit and then we can you know we can discuss it here um so okay yeah uh, the 10 things 10 incredible benefits of cuddling that make you want to cuddle right now it's difficult to find time to relax in today's hectic world. Many even sacrifice their time for uh, for intimacy to work more hours. But intimacy with others is one of the essential elements to make humans human beings happier. Mm. Uh, cuddling is one of the easiest ways to experience the intimacy we need with our loved ones. Uh, along with so many benefits, it's definitely something that can't be sacrificed. Cuddling is not just for women. Men long to cuddle as much as women do. Here, here. Uh, there are many surprising benefits of cuddling. It's good for your body and and soul, well, whatever, and read on and you'll want to cuddle right now. So here's number one. It releases a feel-good hormone. And Stephanie, I think you already brought this up, oxytocin. which is oxytocin. It says here, oxytocin is a hormone that does everything from making you feel good to helping you feel connected to others. Oxytocin is crucial in the act of cuddling, as you'll see from its benefits uh, popping up in the list below. So no problems there. Everybody agrees with that. Oxytocin, nice thing. Yeah, for I think sure. most people are familiar with oxytocin. Sure. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's also the hormone that is released when babies breast are breastfeeding. Yeah. yeah. And it causes the sense of bonding. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But everybody so, has it, not just women. Right. Part of the human condition. Yeah. So, all right, number two, boost the immune system. How about that? Oh, I believe wow. that. Yeah, uh, especially with flu season being so vicious. Uh, the release of oxytocin, this feel-good hormone, makes you feel like nothing can hurt you, which is an amazing benefit. It also increases hormones that help fight infection. Basically, you're boosting your immune system because you're feeling too good and healthy to get sick. The power of positive thinking and feeling loved and secure actually works. Thoughts on that, Stephanie? That's interesting. I wonder if it does so via like a decrease in cortisol, because cortisol is like, you know, what's known in popular parlance as the stress hormone, right? Right. Cortisol suppresses the immune system in when it's released in a chronic way. And, you know, most people today are chronically stressed about something or other, whether it's their job or school or family issues or whatever, <laughs> um, or just trying to, you know, like make money and get by, <laughs> right? Right. Um, or being exposed to lots of like toxic and shit in the food, you know, like lots of like just unhealthy standard American diet. <laughs> it can can cause chronic stress as well. Um, so there's lots of things that stress us out. And but but when we when we snuggle with somebody or something, um, that stress can go down and the cortisol levels can decrease. And that might let the immune system just naturally come back up to its its former glory, I guess, before sure. we got so stressed out. Sure. Ellen, that's, I mean, that's a really good theory. I mean, I, yeah, I, I was interested in learning about the science of it, but 
Um, I can believe that too. I mean, I, I know that whenever I feel good, I know that like nothing can hurt me. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and and maybe cuddling helps with your immune system, not only because of the, the hormonal changes, but also because, you know, if you expose yourself to different, you know, ecosystems of bacteria and viruses, then you can sort of develop a tolerance for them. So. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's interesting. I too. was wondering if that was what you were going to say. That's awesome. Yeah. You're, yeah, right you're strengthening your immune system by exposing it to other people's skin microbiome or something. Yeah. Sure. All right. Fair <laughs> <Or> enough. An <laughs> animal. Uh, let's go to number three. Relieve pain. Just as it boosts your immune mm. system, cuddling and releasing oxytocin will decrease your pain levels. It's like whenever your neck hurts, you rub it. Even simple touches like that release enough oxytocin to make you feel better. So imagine the effect cuddling has a full body contact with another human. Mm. Thoughts, Stephanie? Yeah, that's really interesting. I wonder if it releases any endorphins as well, because those are great for pain relief. Um, you know, it reminds me of there's a there's a famous book about back pain and it the name is escaping me right now but back pain is such a huge problem it's one of the most costly medical conditions sure. in the United States and it's some it's an obscene amount of healthcare dollars that are spent on chronic back pain um and surgery is very unsuccessful at treating it it's not much better than placebo surgery unfortunately um but there's a book that basically teaches people about how emotional uh, repression and like basically keeping emotions, negative emotions, like kind of pent up inside can manifest as physical pain and often manifests as lower back pain in particular. And the book like gives you exercises on how to uh, sort of address that sure. and, and get rid of that pain without drugs or surgery or anything like that. So I wonder how much the emotional aspect plays into that relief of, of chronic pain. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Ellen, thoughts? Yeah. So maybe it's nervousness or, or anxiety or something like that that causes you to tense up, which is kind of kind of leads into what I was thinking was that maybe when you cuddle with someone, it leads you uh, to be more relaxed and to like any muscles that you have all tensed up. Uh, they just kind of let loose. And, mm. and then whatever pain you have from that tension might just melt away. Yeah. Yeah. Like Another it. thing I wanted to mention on that point is that they, they were saying like when your neck hurts, you rub it. I think it is possible at least a little bit to induce some of these benefits in yourself by mm -hmm. just you can do self massage like just, right. you know, you can massage your own hand like your uh, one hand with the other hand. You can massage your own feet, your own legs, your own forearms, your own neck and shoulders. Um, I've got a device called a Theracane, which is like it looks like a big candy cane, but it's basically used to reach around and massage your own back. You can use it in like massage kind of between your shoulder blades. Um, they have foam rollers. They have like the uh, things that you can roll over your feet and hands mm -hmm. with little kind of um, balls that kind All of stimulate this. Yeah, 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 exactly. Understood. They get yeah. the blood flow going. You can use um, you can do dry brushing where you take a brush and you um, rub it over your skin. Oh, got one of those in the bedroom, don't we? I do dry brushing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh -huh. And you're supposed to do it in sort of a pattern that corresponds to the flow of lymph in your body to get your lymph circulation. But I mean, that dry brushing just feels really good. Like nice. if it didn't do anything internal, I would still do it because it feels so good. <laughs> it just like, you know, it's like a gentle scratching on your skin, but not like in a painful way, just like gently kind of um, gently touching and it feels really good. So it is totally possible to get some of these benefits without depending on another person. Right. 
So are we good for like another 10, 15 minutes? Sure. Or yeah, yeah. Are you sure? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Because I know we're all pretty hungry and we'll we'll be taking you out to dinner after this. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm uh, just starting to get into it. <laughs> oh, right on. All right. Well, I mean, we can go even longer. <laughs> but we, are, we are over the two hour we mark now. We can finish now, the so. cuddling. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's go to number four then. Uh, number four is lower the risk of heart disease. Oh, I was wondering if this was going to be one of them. Yeah. So stress management coach and therapist Catherine A. Connors says, quote, hugging increases oxytocin levels, which is a bonding hormone. This chemical reaction can help to reduce blood pressure, which in turn reduces the risk of heart disease. End quote. Yeah. Your heart is happier and not working as hard to combat the effects of stress and sickness. You'll be healthier longer. Stephanie, thoughts? So I was thinking um, when we were mentioning pets and animals at the beginning of this topic um, about the there's multiple studies done um, that show that having a cat or a dog decreases people's blood pressure almost as much as blood pressure medication. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, So animals are really great at this kind of stress relief. And I don't know if it's just because of the cuddling or because of other effects or because of knowing that something's there to kind of keep you company and protect you, like especially with a dog. Um, They can act as a a guard role in in, a a really like an aid or like a almost like a service dog, even if they're not trained as such. But yeah, like um, I believe that if it works with animals, you know, I'm sure it would work with, with another person too. And yeah. Have effects on the blood pressure. Quick side note on that. I mean, I could see why this is why like the, this luxury pet industry that exists now where you're spending hundreds of dollars for a, a treat for your pet, you know, like, and like you have these whole gourmet shops and everything that's all for your pets. I could see that that like those pets are, are filling the need that we've been describing is gone. And they are, you know, like, and that's why people are willing to give them so much because it's mm. just giving them these they want to show joy, their, joy feelings. their gratitude to that pet. Yeah. 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 Ellen, thoughts? Uh, well, I have a cat and he <laughs> is very cuddly. He is so fuzzy and cute. Aww. And uh, <laughs> he gives me all those happy feelings. So um, I, I know for a fact that it does work with animals. I mean, when they're willing to cuddle with you and it's not, it's got nothing to do with protection for me because I mean mm-hmm. is he going to protect me from the mice <laughs> but um, it's it's so incredible how similar the feeling is like cuddling with an animal versus cuddling with another person I think it's just the fact that you're like touching a living thing and it's responding to you and mm. and you're both like you know being really nice and friendly to each other um, Yeah. but as far as heart disease goes I I, I don't know. I mean, that's that's wonderful, but I don't really have anything to add about that. Sure, sure. I can. I I had a lot of cats actually when I was younger, and like I remember one of the times I could really fall asleep really easily is the one the the big cat. Her name was Betty Lou, and like you could feel like her heart or like her whole stomach and everything just kind of vibrating and just like holding that mm. and the warmth of it next to you. And like I would fall asleep in no time. So oh, sure, yeah. I could I can imagine that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's go to number five. Reduce social anxiety. Now, I think you were hinting at this, Ellen. Um, oh, oxy- yeah. yeah, oxytocin inspires positive thinking. It helps you have an optimistic outlook on the world, which means when you get a hug right as you arrive at the party where you kn- uh, only know one person, you're going to feel happier and more uh, social going in. You'll feel like you can charm everyone at the party. And with oxytocin coursing through your system, you will. This is amazing because actually I uh, I went to a concert the other night that I uh, for a band that I've never seen and I was there with four friends mm-hmm. and um, it wasn't music that I typically listen to either 
So I didn't. Who's the really, band? Will you share? You uh, don't have to. It was to. Bella's Bartok. Oh, okay. No, don't know. Go ahead. Okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> uh, so I was I was there listening to the music and I was watching people dance and I'm like, I don't really know how to dance. And then I started feeling <laughs> a little disconnected. Like, I don't know if I should even be here. Um, but it was fun to listen to the music and see the band play. Uh, but when my friends came up and they were like dancing next to me and they started including me, like, you know, put the, put their hand around my shoulder, yeah, right, right. pull me into it. I started feeling like, oh, this is really fun, actually. Now I'm enjoying it and getting into it. Yeah. So sometimes that's all it takes is is that little bit of physical connection. Absolutely. Stephanie, that's any an thoughts? That's an awesome story. Yeah. Um, Social anxiety. Social anxiety. Hmm. I mean, if you don't have anything to well, add, well, the, on it, that's the fine. only thing. No, I'm I'm sort of still working this out. But the thing that I immediately thought of was that um, people who are touch starved, yeah, I think they can start to get a like increased social anxiety. You know, yeah, what I, you well, know what I mean. Like, I think that's why they were particular in mentioning it's somebody that you know. Yeah, 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 that's right. But yes, no, I could see the opposite happening um, if you're not comfortable in the situation. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I mean, if you are starved, like, I mean, the way, of course, to solve that is to get unstarved, <laughs> right? Yeah. Get fed as far as touch goes. Yeah, but so, I mean, if you have social anxiety, how are you supposed to go out and find someone to help you? <laughs> that's why we need professional cuddlers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, professional cuddlers. One of the most important or pe- new industries in the world, in my opinion. Or pets or self, yes. self-massage, maybe, sure. or whatever, dry brushing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Get, get a brush. Company. <laughs> <laughs> Number six, shall we? Yeah. yeah. Deepen your relationships. Communication is important in relationships, but people often forget how effective and meaningful touch can be. When your career is so stressful, you come home and can't stop thinking about the job. You're taking a negative toll on your relationship instead or taking a negative toll on your relationship. Instead, imagine coming home and cuddling with your partner for even 10 minutes a day. The brief break from the stress of everyday life will not only give you all the other benefits listed here, but will also deepen your relationship. You'll be taking time to focus solely on your partner and what you feel for them. Now, I'll start off with this. I mean, like you and I, Stephanie, not that we count but like we, we kind of make it a point to like we 20 a, hugs a day. Yeah, we have a joke that we do 20 hugs a day. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we've ever actually counted. I no. think there are some days when we do even more than that. But yeah. we do hug frequently. And one of the things that we like to do when we wake up or that I like to do when we wake up is, is cuddle. Oh, it's like cuddle as time. As, yeah. as soon as we wake up and sometimes before bed, we like to, you know, like I'll say, hey, you want to go get in bed and like cuddle and talk? And we do. We have some great conversations that way. And yeah. yeah, I mean, I love that. I, I I keep thinking back to the advice that I've heard a lot of therapists that like if you're having an argument with your significant other or partner, um, it can help you get connected to them to just like hold their hand or something while yes. you're talking about it instead of being totally physically separated. And like we've done that a couple of times when we've been having discussions or arguments and sure. I feel like it's, it's really helped just, yes. or just like put my hand on your leg or something or touch, you know, touch your hand or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Ellen thoughts on that. Oh yeah. I, I absolutely agree. Like uh, just the physical touch, the act of reaching out and putting your hand on someone, it really does cross immense distances as far as connecting and understanding with another person mm-hmm. um and and that's something that i enjoy doing too especially at the end of a long stressful day which does happen sometimes um <laughs> you know you need it's it's so nice to have somebody there to just reach out and touch and talk to and um you know even even if it's just hand holding but cuddling next to another person is 
such a, a relief and it does make you it takes your mind off of your troubles and, yeah. and you can entirely focus on what you're feeling for that person even yeah. if it's not sexual yeah absolutely number seven um this is where it gets like a, a potential like sexual benefit that it's going to mention but i think it's about the only one that does uh and that's lead to further intimacy even non-erotic touch can release dopamine, which is a hormone that increases sexual desire. Getting a sweet hug or massage from your partner after a long day can lead to more, which is win-win for both of you. Regular sexual activity can, will strengthen your relationship as well. Also, sex is a good stress reliever and an easy way to get in some physical activity. So anyone mm. want to share thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah. Who could disagree with that? Right. You know? yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm just thinking about all the times that I've used a massage as like a front for initiating a sexual situation. <laughs> You've done that? <gasps> so many times. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm thinking, well, was that really right? I mean, i I think it is, like, is the person I have to trust the person to say no if they didn't exactly. want to go any further than that. You yeah. know, again, communication, consent. Yeah. Yeah. But um but yeah, especially with like new partners it's like sure. you're on a date you don't know what's going to happen you haven't had sex yet or whatever you haven't fooled around um you know you want to initiate something but you're not sure exactly how you say hey would you like a massage or would you like to give me a massage um in fact yeah i've 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 heard that i've heard a lot of people say that as like like sex educators say that as like a tip if you want to try to get something going like a massage is a good way to sure is a good way to sort of start things going in that direction. Um, but of course, like, yeah, don't say yes to a massage from somebody that you don't want one from. And if you don't want to, if you only want a massage and nothing more, be upfront about that too. It's totally okay to say that, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but I, I will say that definitely cuddling, kissing, massages, even like hand holding or just like any kind of touching is if I'm not in the mood is likely to get me more closer to being in the mood. You know, these are a few of your favorite things. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Sure. <laughs> Ellen, any thoughts? Uh, well, I, I guess I agree with you. I mean, yeah, massages are a great way to lead into that. But uh, usually if, if somebody offers to give me a massage, I'm only agreeing to the massage and anything beyond that is like oh i have to specify but sure um yeah it, i mean who who could who could disagree with the fact that you know like massages and and leading to sex that's it's always a good thing right <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you want it <laughs> yeah it might get requested here and there you know <laughs> right on uh all right so number eight sure yeah okay um help mothers bond um Oxytocin is in relation to childbirth or yeah, oxytocin is in relation to childbirth and breastfeeding. The chemical doesn't just inspire good feelings between couples. It also works for women and their babies. Oxytocin helps relax the mother so that breastfeeding may come more easily. I think that that's pretty self-explanatory. Mm, yeah, it helps point. with the milk let down as well. Mm, okay, sure. <laughs> that's it. I, I've never had experience with that. I don't know. Right on. None of us <laughs> well, here have. Neither have I. Welcome but to the Child Free Club. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is just from reading about it in med school and stuff. They, they actually call it the milk, milk letdown. It means like, you know, the baby latches onto the nipple. It causes oxytocin and prolactin release. And mm -hmm. then it like starts the flow of milk, basically. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Um, number nine. 
help you get or help you sleep better. Whether you're spooning all night long or just cuddling with your partner for 10 minutes before you go to sleep triggers your body to release oxytocin that helps you bond with your partner and relieve stress. Oh, when that's you, true. Yeah. When you're not so anxious and more relaxed, you're likely to fall asleep faster and have better sleep. Yeah. Thoughts? Well, I was just thinking of all the times that if I wake up in the middle of the night, maybe I have to go to the bathroom or something and yeah. then I get back in bed and I'm having trouble falling asleep. I'll just like cuddle up to you or I'll even just put my hand on your hand yep. and it helps me fall back asleep immediately. Absolutely. It's awesome. <laughs> Ellen? Yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, with all the other effects that we've described about cuddling with the, you know, relaxation, muscles releasing their tension, um, of course it would help you fall asleep easier. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's great. Um, yeah, some of my best nights of sleep, uh, like, you know, the marathon sleep nights where it's like 10, 12 hours, it's, it's when you get to cuddle. Right. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, I, I agree sleep. because yeah. And even like when I'll, same thing, when I'll wake up or something, if I start cuddling, like I'll fall right back to sleep or I don't even, I just don't want to get up. You know? like, <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, that's yeah. right. It does make it hard to get up. <laughs> yeah. But in a good way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, right, number 10 this is our last one on the list. Uh, reduce stress. Oxytocin is an amazing natural hormone that has so many benefits for the human body. And and mainly it sounds like that's been like the gist. It's like, they look, oxytocin. on just oxytocin. Keeps... Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I guess that's fair because it is known as sort of the cuddling hormone or the bonding hormone or whatever. But it oxy... plays so many functions. Yeah. It's not specific to cuddling or touching. And also there are other hormones involved. You know, I'm sure cortisol has a lot to do with reducing stress. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's there's a little more on that one, but the bottom line being is that, the, you know, well, here, I'll read it. Um, it's only natural that all these positive effects are going to relieve stress also. You're feeling more connected with your partner. You're feeling confident in social situations. Your immune system is, is stronger. Nothing can stress you out. You have a great, cuddle-filled, loving life. So, any thoughts on that, Ellen? Uh, that's That sounds wonderful. It Absolutely, sounds right? like a life that would be worth living, that I would enjoy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, right oh, on. Cuddle. Yeah. All the time, right? Yay. Yeah, <laughs what a great way to touch. Break those boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good way to end off the listicle. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a, there's a last uh, oh. paragraph here that I'll read quick. <laughs> Cuddling is for everyone. Cuddling doesn't have to be between you and your romantic partner. It doesn't have to be uh, with... It doesn't have to be with another person. You can rub your own shoulders. You can also hug your friends or play with your pets. I like that they said that. I like yeah. that they said pets and self. Yeah. If you don't want to be social or don't have a furry friend, never fear. You can take a warm bath or get a massage. Feeling warm and connected by some sort of touch is enough to release oxytocin into your system and get feeling good. And that's the the end of the article. But nice. yeah, I think that is a great way to end it. And yeah, I really like that. Yeah, I think that that's fantastic. Um, I wish this would become more, at least socially acceptable. Not saying that everybody needs to just go out there and start cuddling anybody that they can find. Obviously, there's concerns around that and among other things. But um, yeah, I, I think this gets this can either get seen as solely sexual or as unacceptable, perhaps between certain uh, you know same sex situations or whatever else. Mm -hmm. And that's a shame because, like, I mean, th these benefits are very very real. This article links to multitude of uh, of of research on the matter so it's they're not just saying it, it's not just bullshit mm. and of course we had two very brilliant women here uh you know cooperating what was said and, and i agree with you mm. uh so i mean any any closing thoughts on cuddling stephanie and then we'll go to ellen 
I would just say, like, if you feel uncomfortable asking another person to cuddle or you don't feel like you have the ability to do that, to access another person, like, just remember those those alternative options of the things that you can do to yourself, like self-massage or dry sure. brushing and animals. Sure. Absolutely. And maybe that'll be a step towards greater oxytocin for you. <laughs> <laughs> Ellen, any closing thoughts on cuddling? Yeah, I just want to say that I I think cuddling is a universal need among humans. Uh-huh. Even, mm-hmm. even if people, are, are, you know, some people try to play the tough guy or, or like the, <laughs> the disconnected, uh, like I'm in control sort of person. Um, but that doesn't mean that they don't want to cuddle. They probably need it all the more. Yes, exactly. They, there's, there's always going to be a hunger for physical connection. And I, I just hope that people learn how to express that. And it's something I would love to see more often. I mean, I've only recently started trying to actually reach out and touch friends and and people that I feel comfortable with because, Mm -hmm. you know, society doesn't encourage that. They don't No, quite the opposite. it's so rare that you come across people who are actually physically friendly to you. Yeah. And mm. and it leaves such a good impression, like a warm memory of that person. So um, it's something that I'm enjoying exploring more of. And, um, you know, I, I, I wish that everybody would. And luckily, I, I have seen at some uh, conventions and festivals that there that sometimes cuddle parties. Mm-hmm. That and so this is it's not um it's not completely isolated it's not completely new like people do this sometimes they they're aware of it and mm-hmm. that's wonderful I can't wait to see it spread more yeah yeah I think it's it's a wonderful thing if you can see it at events and everything and and everybody can just um I don't remember the first time I ever like saw a cuddle party but it was actually at a convention um I'm pretty sure and. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's like, wow, that's so nice, you know, and if everybody's getting along, that's great. And yeah, I think this is something to integrate in a multitude of relationship types. That's, that's where I think people really get lost is that they think it's for one thing. It can be for a bunch of different things, uh, which is just, you know, and it, and it's really, really powerful. So like Rick Springfield said, we all need the human touch. And, uh, <laughs> I think he was right in the eighties and maybe it's more important today. So, um, we did have one other article that I think we'll, we'll probably hold off on. So which, which article, the article was why are, or let's see, (laughs) let me get the exact title. Why metal fans are brainier. Oh, I was so excited about this. one. (laughs) (laughs) Can we do it in like 10 minutes? We could do it in 10 minutes. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. If you want to do it in 10 minutes. This sounds so elitist. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I'm going to be the critic. All right. Well, first things. All right. So first things first, before I do that, if you want to get your hands on not heavy metal music, but maybe heavy, oh, precious metals. great segue. Yes. Thank you. That's why I'm a professional. <laughs> you need to go to a Sovereign Tech sponsor, that being Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. Go to rrbi.co. That's the website. If you want to get great prices on silver, gold, platinum, palladium, whatever, maybe you want to use Bitcoin to get your hands on that, I want you to go to Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. This is the real deal. One of the best businesses in the world. They are going to take care of you. You are going to get your hookup. You want to diversify your wealth right now. We've been talking about technology and all this stuff. Well, you know, one thing that stood the test of time far longer than any of these fondle slabs that we have or, you know, any of the smartphones or whatever. Gold and silver have been there. So get your hands on some. Go to rrbi.co and let them know that the Golden Stallion sent you to get golden. So now let's talk about other metal, that being heavy metal. 
or maybe hard rock. I always have a hard time with that. Like I see hard rock and heavy metal kind of as the same thing. Like in my, when I organize it and I, I am incredibly anal about how I organize my music. Um, I, I just put it all under, even though I'm anal, I just put all that under metal, you know, ACDC sits right next to, um, suicide silence or something. So, uh, I don't know, pick your band. But anyway, I think all three of us here are kind of metal fans. I mean, I'm not kind of. Ellen, I don't think you're kind of. <laughs> I mean, I, I like metal. I listen to it. I don't know if I'm intensely into it where I know albums of bands, but right, yeah, right. I, I, I like to explore. I like to find yeah. out what's out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Stephanie? I, I, I definitely like metal. Um, I enjoy listening to it with you, Brian, especially when we're working out. It makes me feel Oh, really we've been powerful. on a Metallica binge <laughs> yeah. recently. Oh, yeah. nice. Oh, yeah. Nice. And wow, have you been feeling powerful? And I, it, yes. I love it. Although I have to say, I kind of grew up as a teenager on punk rock, uh, <laughs> yeah, which is like, slightly you, different than metal. Yeah, you know? but you've gotten like Coheed and Cambria. Like, I think they're metal. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, definitely. At the time, um, in the early 2000s, when I was listening to a lot of like indie music it was definitely like the lines were getting blurred between metal and like punk rock sure and it was there was a lot of great bands during that time that i would consider i would consider more on the metal side yeah yeah um yeah i don't know like i say metal is really such a broad swath and and this article doesn't really get into that fact that it can be so many different things like like one of my favorite bands and and sadly, there's not a whole lot of uh, women involved in the or I mean, there's there's they're out there, but there's not a I don't think there's enough of them. Like I'm a huge fan of Evanescence. I think they're metal, you know, and no one's going to necessarily like, you know, I don't know. I and I think that's very brainy music. Didn't um, Michael Bolton have a metal album before he went? Oh my god! What? Oh, you just drove me wild. Yes. Okay. So uh, yeah. So he had he had two. Uh, right. Learn something new. I, I love the excitement you just put on the, on display. Yeah, that was cool. All right, because nobody else gives a shit about this. I feel like except me, and, and Stephanie knows it because I, I give right. a shit. I think it's cool. Yeah. I still haven't listened to it, but I intend to. All right. I know Michael Bolton. He's got like a soft kind of raspyish voice. Yeah, yeah. How do you think it got so raspy? Oh. <laughs> You're right. All right. All right. So, so here, all right. So here, you're quick on this. Okay. And I think I talked about this like years ago on a Patreon episode or something. All right. So I'm, I'm actually a big Michael Bolton fan. I mean, eighties music is just, that's my, that's my stuff. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, Rick Springfield, Phil Collins, Prince. I mean, just go down the, go down the list. Awesome. Of them. Uh, Billy Joel. Um, but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he's my favorite artist right on. Yes, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Uh, but Michael Bolton, so most people don't know that before his kind of big hits, his big like pop hits, he did two metal albums. In fact, his guitarist was Bruce Kulick, who would go on to replace, um, uh, well, he would end up being like the lead guitarist in Kiss uh, throughout the 80s and early 90s. And he, Michael Bolton, so the first two albums, they're these, hard, they're these hard rockers. I don't know if you'd exactly call them, I would call them metal, maybe not everybody else would, but I think they're awesome. In fact, there's one song called Everybody's Crazy. And it is just one of the baddest ass little songs we'll have to play it later. Or maybe I'll even have the, you know, when I do this episode and post, maybe I'll put it at the end of it. But <laughs> I just, I love this song. It's, it's so great. So yeah. Anyway, there, there you go, Ellen. You can listen to Michael Bolton's first two albums and they are hard rockers. It's, it's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's he's amazing. That, that's great. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, so, I mean, we could talk metal all day long, I'm sure as far as how that goes, but we do have a point here. And again, the article says, uh, why metal fans are brainier. Um, 
And it says a disproportionate, this is from the guardian. This is from a few years ago, but I had a sovereign tech listener. In fact, Stephanie, you and I were having dinner with this, uh, this guy. And he says like, what? He asked me, he says, so what is it? He says, I meet all these smart dudes. He says, why, why do they listen to metal? He says, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, it's like the thing you all have in common. And I didn't exactly have an answer for him at that time, but studies have been actually have been done on this. Um, and this is from wow. the Guardian. Like I said, who's from, studying this? <laughs> yeah, a few different people. Well, I mean, I don't think there's enough study on music. Like even I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a study on like its effects in the human, like on, on biology, on brain, yeah. not not so. I mean, there's plenty of study on musical style and, you know, and, and all that. But and maybe um, why people like the styles that they like. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder what personality types might have to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> easy. The smart ones like metal. Yeah. INTJs, they're all metal. You know? They got the horns. Metal up. and libertarianism. <laughs> Uh, all right. So let's see a disproportionate number of bright. This is from the guardian, a disproportionate number of bright students listen to metal. No wonder it's difficult, erudite, and still the voice of the outsider. Now I think that last part might be one of the biggest. Yeah, things. that's a big, that's a big deal. Yeah. Definitely. So let me read a little bit here. Uh, bring your daughter to the slaughter for improved exam results. <laughs> metal fans. At, <laughs> that's a hell of a thing. Metal fans at Ozfest, Donington park, uh, or well, okay. So that that's like, there was a picture that they were showing. Um, but as Metallica once said, let it be written. It's not the students who love Radiohead that are likely to be the brainiest in their university, but the kid down the hall with the tool t-shirt. I'm a big tool fan. Uh, and a fixation with the floor. Uh, a study published uh, today reveals that a disproportionate number of members in the National Academy for Gifted and Talented Youth, a body of 120,000 120,000 students, which represents the top 5% of academic achievement, list heavy metal or quote unquote metal as its devotee as its devotees these days uh, or as these devotees know it. Wow, th this is written very oddly. I apologize. Uh, so, you know, the devotees know it as metal as their favorite kind of music. So th what they're saying is that in this group that most of the smart kids, the number one music among them was metal. Should we be surprised that people who spend a good deal of their day headbanging should be the ones who later in life will get their heads around nuclear fission? Of course, uh, of course we shouldn't. Metal in 2007 no longer concerns itself with silver spandex strides and songs about dragons. Instead, it manages to be challenging and uncommercial, uh, exactly the kind of thing a kid who stands apart from the mainstream would find appealing. It's noisier than it ever was, and it takes effort to understand it. If you're a Mensa member whose best friend is a book of scientific equations, then it's no surprise that you might fall in love with a band whose rhythmic tendencies are the musical equivalent of Einstein's theory of relativity. <laughs> um, <laughs> There's a little bit more here. The popular perception, though, still suggests otherwise. In my day job as features writer for Kerrang! magazine, I've interviewed plenty of metal musicians, and plenty of them have been so stupid that two IQ points less would mean they'd be... Uh, they need milking each morning, but plenty, but plenty more uh, have been just the opposite. What is more striking, though, is the assumption from the from the outside that anyone associated with the genre is a brick thick. It doesn't matter that in recent years, Atlanta band Mastodon have released an album based on Herman Melville's Moby Dick or that Californian band Thrice have written music inspired by the Thomas Pinchon novel V. Uh, what matters is that people who like the Smiths are understood to be smart uh, smart while people who listen to Slayer are reckoned to be otherwise case shut. This at least proves one thing that metal is still the music of the underdog. And there's a little bit more, but that's, that's the bottom line point. Um, so hmm. I, yeah, you know what it makes me think of that last line. Um, I remember when I was in fourth or fifth grade, 
this would have been like 1994. So like, you know, Metallica was really popular. Sure. And like other bands kind of like that. Um, I remember the kids in my school saying like, every time you head, you do a headbang, you lose a brain cell. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, like, I'm pretty sure that was not evidence-based at all. I might all. have heard that too when I was, yeah, right. Yeah, but do you remember hearing stuff like that? Yes. Yeah. 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 It, I mean, that just plays into the stereotype that people who are metal fans are stupid or like re- taking unnecessary risks or something like that. But I mean, risk-taking and rebelliousness are associated and those can also be associated, both of those traits, rebelliousness, can be associated with, uh, you know, intelligence, basically. Because when you think about things enough, you start to realize, okay, something's not quite right here. And then you become a rebel. So yeah, I, even, I can see how they're connected. Or even health in general. I mean, yeah. I personally, I think that disobedience mm. is like literally the first human virtue. Like, I mean, like that's <laughs> that that's what we're designed to be. Uh, and, and I think that that's pretty cool. But um, and, and, you know, so, yeah, something that appeals to that sense of rebelliousness is definitely going to be a part. And, and but again, like you said, the rebelliousness may be a symbol of. Uh, intelligence maybe a symbol yeah, of the of, capacity to question yes. um to, to think outside the box right not an to, iq number but like like isaac newton were not that isaac newton knew everything but mm-hmm. just because he was willing to try and figure it out and he could he had the capacity to figure it out right so i mean ellen do you have any thoughts on this yeah yeah i do think it's interesting that um it it imbues you with a sense of individualism and yes and, um, you know, it, it does require a bit of deep thinking, thinking outside of the box, especially uh, listening to metal music. I remember when you told me first about the subject, I was like, wait a minute, what do you metal people who listen to metal are smarter or something? <laughs> then I started thinking about it. I was like, well, of course, I mean, uh, well, not not necessarily. I mean, I wouldn't use it as a universal statement at all, mm-hmm. but uh, it is more technically challenging. I yes. mean, there's a lot going on in metal music. A lot, uh, yeah. A lot with the instruments, um, especially with the lyrics, because the lyrics are anything but traditional. Right. I mean, these aren't love songs that we're <laughs> Usually to. not, unless yeah. it's Whitesnake, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, here's a, here's a counterpoint to this. Um, I'm exploring the question of, is this a little bit racist? Ooh. Racist? Yes. So what race do you ex- associate uh, uh, metal music with? Uh, no? I, I, I know where you're going with this. Uh-huh. Uh, but the thing is, is that metal came out of the blues. Um, heavy, it came out of the blues. Heavy metal came out of the blues. But who listens to it now? Sure. It's, yep. Predominantly, there's certainly a lot of white guys. Not all, though. I mean, there is Living Color, King's X. I mean, like, there's a lot of a lot of bands where you have black front men. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've certainly Kill been Switch to... Kill Switch Engage. Yeah, right. Yes. Uh, wow, good one. All Thank right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I I see your point. But I think any any musician, certainly, any metal musician or metal aficionado would, would easily point that white people did not make this music. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, Judas Priest... You know, I mean, like these guys were or, or Deep Purple or whoever, you know, they start off with that. But ask who they listen to and you give very interesting answers or who inspired them. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I mean, you know, uh, uh, Chubby Checker. I mean, you go down the list like these are all the inspirations for what would end up being heavy metal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, <sighs> I mean, like I, this is a positive stereotype, but it's like, OK, it's drawing a comparison between a certain type between a certain type of music mm-hmm. and intelligence 
And that type of music happens to be predominantly associated with a certain demographic, right? And there are definitely other people who draw comparisons between other types of music and quality, personal qualities. Like, you know, for example, um, there's a lot of stereotypes about people who listen to rap music or gangster rap, certain, mm-hmm. certain types of music. Sure. And is it, is it kind of the same thing? Like, is, in this case, they're making a positive association. In other cases, people are making negative stereotypes about people who listen to certain types of music. But is it the same thing? Is it just like, you know, should we just be treating people as individuals, basically? Yeah. Well, I think metal, like like Ellen said, is a very individualistic mm-hmm. like genre. And I think that's why it doesn't lend itself to why it's on Top 40 Radio, because it's not, mm-hmm. you know, uh, not like the you know, maybe the heavier stuff or the more intricate stuff. Um, yeah, I could see that there's other, there, there's like, when I was looking into this, um, there are quite a few different, there are other studies as well that compare like metal, like the uh, music group that has the most in common, which actually might play into what you're saying, Stephanie are like metal musicians have the most in common with classical or not musicians. Metal fans have mm-hmm. most in common with classical fans, hmm. which you think would be, wait a minute. No, they're, they're, they're well, the metal can be kind of operatic sometimes. Oh, of course yeah. it can. Queens, right. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. you know, plenty of bands you could go down the list uh, mm-hmm. as, as far as that. Yeah. Not many people listen to classical anymore either. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's yeah. the stereotype about people who listen to country music? <laughs> oh boy. Right. <laughs> well, Okay. All right, hold on. So why are we talking about these stereotypes? I wonder if it's actually true that uh, the majority of people who l- listen to heavy metal are white. Mm-hmm. Because I, I wonder that, too. I, I mean, it I certainly doesn't have true. to be. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and equally, you know, you could go like if you go into the gym, I mean, you'll see plenty. I mean, I, I can only speak from anecdotes, I guess. And maybe that's all any of us can do. I mean, this this was picking on a specific group. Uh, and yeah, there, there could be components to that, certainly. Um, but... I, I really, I think the rebelliousness aspect of it might be the strongest case. And it seemed to be the one you agreed with also, Stephanie. Yeah, I mean, I de- it definitely appeals to me. But, you know, at the same time, we have to remember, like, everyone wants to think of themselves as being intelligent and so uh, up on trends that they can, you know, they're bucking the system and they're thinking outside of the box. And everybody wants to feel good about themselves for being better than everybody else, you know, and we have to, we have to just be careful of getting into that elitist mindset too much. (laughs) Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Ellen, do you have any other thoughts on? Yeah, I, I agree. I I don't want to talk about this too much in, in a way that's just puffing up our egos or anything. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. But, um, you know, there are a lot of heavy metal songs, rock songs that are about, uh, you know, introspection, uh, you yes. know, being in, in pain or, or suffering through some great tragedy and then, you know, maybe eventually even overcoming it. So, I mean, in a way, these songs are like epic tales. And um, I just don't see a lot of that in pop music or in, um, you know, many other genres besides classical. I mean, right. classical music literally was about like you know beings that were beyond human they were more larger than life yeah and and they were these huge long stories that yeah, were themes to the gods epic. i mean yeah. really yeah exactly yeah um and i mean i do see some similarities between the two genres uh so i don't know i, I think there's something to it for sure 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 cool yeah 
again, the rebelliousness aspect is one thing. I mean, I think it is easily the most complex form of music out there. I mean, just, just easily, you know, even lyric lyrically alone, like some, some metal bands, if you're listening to dream theater or something like that, I mean, you go down the list, you need a dictionary next to you to even know what the hell they're saying. Like, I, I mean, because, you know, they'll, they'll use some really complex shit, you know, as to where other, and I'm not insulting them because I, I can dig other kinds of music too. That oftentimes they're making up words, you know, to try and fit the lyrical con- or to fit the rhythm uh, or the lyrical content or something, you know? Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting. Basically all they're saying is, is that a bunch of kids that, that, that meet or not kids, but a bunch of younger people that meet a certain uh, intelligence standard of some kind all said that metal is like their, their number one form of form of music. Mm. I mean, it, it's, you know, there's the likelihood that it comes down to, you know, these kids were like being really pushed by their parents to be this brilliant quote unquote brilliant or something. And metal just is a completely, re- again, it gets they want to rebel against. <laughs> yeah. And metals like, you know, I mean, you listen to like another one of my personal favorites disturbed, right. You know, I mean, just listen to Down with the Sickness and like, that's a totally anti-parent song. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. (laughs) But there's a lot of metal out there that has awesome energy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. You could listen to Dragon Force. I think that's what initially attracted me to that type of music. Like I was angry from high school and just having traumatic experiences and Mm -hmm. in school. And I was pissed off about a lot of stuff and the music like reflected my emotional state. And so I gravitated toward it. Sure. I mean, for me, in fact, this, this is a great question to get into. Like, what, what actually uh, got you into metal? For me, it was A, I mean, it was sexy. Like, and it was over the top. And it was the only thing being willing, maybe because it was underground. It was the only thing at the time that was, like, allowed to talk about sex. And, like, like really blatantly, you know. And I thought, I, you know, I was like, oh, well, the, well that's fantastic. So I, I, I was more for the positive aspects of it, you know, and that's why I guess I like, uh, even though I don't like the term, you know, a lot of like the hair metal guys and everything, uh, even though my, you know, I have pretty broad range of taste when it comes to metal. But that was like my initial attractor. It's like, wow, they can say that, you know, and then and then there's then there's the energy too. like, it's just you do get an awesome energy. Like when we work out, we listen to, you know, we'll listen to metal, maybe Metallica or something like that. And it does. It gets you pumped up. Yeah. It gets you going, you know? Yeah, it really helps. It's amazing. I mean, there's a reason I, the tiger is such a big, well, that's not a metal song, but anyway, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, music conveys feelings. It's a sure. great way to express feelings without a lot of words, you know, and I think that's a lot of the draw. Right. Yeah. So Ellen, what, what got you into metal? Uh, the emotional aspect, yeah. uh, expressing things without words. You know, I when I was growing up as a teenager, I, I had all sorts of problems and I felt that metal music was great for uh, that rebellious, angry, depressed side of myself to be expressed. And mm. I mean, I kind of fell away from it for a few years, but when I came back to it, I realized like... Uh, you know, there's some great stories in here yeah. and it's really thrilling to listen to. Like it does get my blood pumping and um, give like for a long time, I avoided the emotion of anger because I thought like, oh, no, no good will come out of it. But it's actually it can be a tool when you feel angry about something. You can harness that energy and use it as a motivation instead of as, uh, you know, like something that you reflect or that you that you use as a reflex sort of uh so like harnessing the energy of anger and using it uh to to be more lively and um 
I, I guess that was that was one thing that really made me love metal again. Bingo. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree completely. Yeah. Keep going if you had more. Oh, that, that was it. I mean, <laughs> metal made me fall in love with it twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Nice. Yeah. No, I agree with what you're saying. I, it is an amazing, like, it allows you to focus. It allows you to express all of these things. I mean, it's really... Um, I, I just, I don't think there's any other music style like it. I'm not saying my choice is better than anybody else's choice. I'm not going to make that kind of claim, mm-hmm. um, but I know what it does for me. I know how, you know, how it can make me feel. And I know, and again, that yes, also the tremendous stories that can be told. Um, like recently, Stephanie, we got you into Dragon Force mm-hmm. and, nice. uh, and, and like as soon as, is amazing. As soon as Stephanie heard Dragon Force, she goes, that is beautiful. Yeah. And I was like, yeah exactly you know <laughs> uh and what so, was their amazon review on their album like oh this man guys <laughs> this is back before anybody knew about them in the states because they didn't become a big deal until guitar hero came out um but they had two albums previous to that and like this guy just wrote this awesome review where he said look he says i'm gonna tell you don't buy this album because when you do you're gonna say goodbye to everything <laughs> It'll you're, ruin gonna your say, life. you're gonna say to your cat sorry cat i gotta go listen to dragon force <laughs> You're gonna you're gonna burn your house down because you're gonna say sorry house. I gotta go listen to Dragon Force. And then when your gal is asking you, you know, to 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 get on down, you know, and get sexy, you're gonna say I'm sorry, baby. I gotta go listen to Dragon Force. <laughs> and I remember reading that review. That would 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 have been like 2010 or sometime before that. And I just said, oh, this is it. This is everything. And, I, <laughs> I, and I've been to Dragon Force, and they're still killing it. I, I did the review on Sovereign Tech of their album that came out in 2017, and uh, they actually made like my favorite song that they've ever done on that album. So I mean, just an amazing band. But anyway. Yeah, metal. So why is metal? How do we know that metal uh, uh, is, is for brainier people? I'll tell you why. Because the three people behind these mics love metal. And that's oh, it's such enough. a representative sample. Yeah. <laughs> and we are the Very smartest. Very scientific. Yeah. I just want to say what an awesome way to be reflective, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. So... Um, Anyway, does anybody else have any other comments they want to get out there on this? Otherwise, let's, it's let's been see. a lot of fun. Let's get some dinner. Yeah, let's get some food. <laughs> All right, let's do some food. Uh, so anyway, Ellen, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, I, thanks, Ellen. It was nice to have you on. Yeah, it's always awesome having you on, of course. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can have you on again more. And, of course, people will be hearing more of Dr. Goldblossom in the very near future. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Stephanie, of course, always wonderful to have you on. Uh, Thank you, Brian. People, it's always fun to be on your show. Yeah. And people can find you at smvoice.info if they want to. Yeah, they can find me actually on audible.com. Search my name, Stephanie Murphy. You might like my book, The The Internet of Money. It's not my book. It's Andreas Antonopoulos's book. Ooh, there's all about a boy. Cryptocurrency yeah. and Bitcoin. Really cool perspectives on it. Freedom oriented and um, interesting takes, interesting hot takes that you won't find in else i might have to get him on the show soon you know i thought yeah, about it we've been friends he, for years i think he wants and to be on the show yeah, yeah 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 so all right well thank you ladies so much thank you to all the sovereign tech listeners of course if you want to support this kind of content what i think is a very unique message getting out there go to patreon or, well just go to sovereigntech.com that'll take you to patreon and you can become a patron and support the show and get access to thousands of hours of exclusive content that you just can't get anywhere else and there's all kinds of exciting things developing there and uh, i'll be back next week with uh, boy we're going to get into some pretty heavy tech next week because there's some stories happening there but this was a ton of fun and uh, you know i'm sure this this trio will gather again soon so i will see all of you on the other side
just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to The Evolution. 